It is a new year, and this year, North America has made it out of groups. Sadly, only one representative with Cloud9, but I would definitely say that all of our representatives played well. Uh, quick statement, JNT, would you agree with that? Not, not agree? What do you think? Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, all of our teams played well. I think you know, it, it kind of sucked for 100 Thieves because it feels like they were playing pretty poorly, except for when it didn't matter. Then they kind of turned it on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it was still like, before. it was super exciting for all the North American teams for sure. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to get into all of that stuff, guys. We're going to start off with the group stuff. We're going to go by every single group. Uh, lots of games just happened today. For those that are unaware, we're recording this just about an hour, maybe an hour or two hours or so after Group D. Uh, so we're, we're pretty fresh off of this. And of course, we will cover uh, some Whippo news. Um, there's the play-in, or the, excuse me, the quarterfinals draw was done. So lots of stuff to get into. This is episode 62 of the Clown Fiesta podcast with Blue Jay and JNT250. Let's get her going. Uh, let's start with today's games. Group D, uh, nine games today, uh, tiebreakers for days, and a new, some history, a new record, if you will. All of the teams going three and three in the group, uh, but not everyone is able to get out. Yeah, I remember I saw some Reddit post right, right, but like basically as the three way, the four way tie happened at three and three, and it was something like there's like X number of combinations of standings that can happen throughout the group stage. And we've hit almost all of them except for the four-way tie and, like, a couple others. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, obviously, the four-way tie was super exciting. I think the way that the early games were playing out, everyone just, like, for the sake of more games, wanted the four-way tie to happen. Obviously, if you're a fan of your specific region, you were hoping that your team was going to be able to close it out. But, you know, TL and Mad Lions were really able to sort of flip the script here. Both of those teams were 1-2 and two in the first three games. And Gen G and LNG, who were looking pretty good, um in their first, you know, round robin as well, going two and one. But I think we we, we kind of saw a very hard drop-off from LNG um, in this second round robin and the tiebreaker match. And we really saw teams like Gen G pick it up, you know, during those tiebreaker matches. Yeah, definitely. And isn't it crazy how, like, this is exactly how the group was supposed to go? Normally, when things go to plan, that's not really all that exciting. But what the plan was for this group was any team could get out, any team could fall. And even from week one, quote unquote, to week two, it was just like, literally, there was no like 0-3 and you come back 3-0. It was none of that. The whole group was consistent, um, consistently like close the whole time. And it just, it, God, man, I said this and I'll keep saying it. Three and three is just a fucking curse, man. It's so sad to go three and three and never make it out. Ugh. But that's the way it goes, right? That's, I mean, what can you say? What can yeah. you say? If you're an NA team, not named cloud nine you cannot make it out going three and three it is impossible so, yeah true true so well the thing is technically cloud nine was two and four <laughs> and then made it out right mm. um but honestly two and four in that group is probably good but we'll we'll get to that where, where do we start in this group what team are we looking at first man because i mean we could go anywhere yeah i mean i think you know starting off with gen g it was kind of interesting to see like how Genji was playing across, you know, this group because it felt like they started very hot with wins over Team Liquid and over Mad Lions, playing Rascal, and then they end up subbing in Birdall for three games, the last game of the first round robin and the first two games of the second round robin, and it felt like they were just like a completely different team where top lane was literally getting smashed almost every single game when Birdall was in, and you know, the game just kind of ended up crumbling around him and BDD was trying his damnedest to try to carry, but like when you basically, you know, the enemy team is strong in three lanes and you're only strong in two lanes, it's kind of difficult to win like that. 
Yeah, and it's so with Gen G. So with the other teams, you could kind of see there was some strengths and weaknesses across the board. With Gen G, it was very apparent that BDD was one v nining almost the whole group stage. This guy was an absolute monster, and I think that Gen G without BDD probably doesn't move on. Let's be honest, this guy was a beast. Yeah, I mean, he, he completely 1v9'd that first game against LNG in the first round robin. Almost, you know, beat Mad Lions in that first round robin as well on the Azir. But, you know, they, they kind of got outscaled in that game. And then you look at some of the games today. Isindra was like an absolute monster against the first, um, in the first Gen G game. And then in the tiebreakers, I mean, he, he was just a beast. I mean, you, you couldn't stop him in the tiebreakers. His Zoe game against Team Liquid was just like picture perfect from what you want in Zoe gameplay. Getting an early, you know, getting an early lead in the lane phase, transitioning that into just like perfect vision in the enemy jungle, and using that vision to just repeatedly poke out, and you know, eventually find kills on isolated members of the enemy team because you're just so discombobulated with not having vision of where the enemy team is, having to face check random bushes and walls where Zoe's just sitting over the other side of the wall throwing bubbles at you. When you saw in that TL game, there was basically just a sequence where Jensen gets caught in mid lane. Then Core JJ gets hit with a bubble over, you know, bot lane tower, and then Tactical gets hit with a bubble over, like, under the mid lane tower, and the game was pretty much blown open off of that one sequence of events. You, you know, Team Liquid happened was, to Santorin too. Santorin yeah. got bubbled as well. Like uh, he was the one that got bubbled first, not Core JJ, but yeah. you know, like the game was fairly close for the most part. You could you could sort of see Gen G was taking like incremental leads throughout the game, and TL was a little bit scared to walk up to regain that vision. But you know, once those three picks happened. The game just instantly ended pretty much almost, you know, five, seven minutes later. Yeah, those bubbles were actually so sad, but so clutch. And some of you guys might not know this, but I have talked JNT's ears off about how good I think BDD is. And I've always said he's my guy. And although I'm really sad to see him absolutely shit on TL, it's kind of like, well, uh, it's like my thoughts were justified. So it does feel good to see him be an absolute monster and carry his team over the line. With that said, so his Syndra and Zoe were amazing, but I don't think it was completely on him. I say that he was 1v9ing, which I don't think is totally just, because I thought Ruler actually had a really good tournament so far as well. Um, a lot of nice sidesteps and still being able to output damage. That's nothing new out of Ruler, though. That's something you come to expect. And then uh, I got to give credit to Clid in the last game. Okay, he's got a Yumi. He's playing Olaf, and he's got a Yumi, so like you're kind of buff when you do that, but still, like he was still running over people in that game as well. And so it wasn't completely on on the back of BDD, although I would say most of the heavy heavy lifting was. Yeah, I mean, and those late game team team fights in that you know second Mad Lions game, the last game of the day, you saw BDG just absolutely one shotting any Mad Lions member should they be you know in the wrong spot in, in the last team fight where Mad Lions you know was going for the Elder Drake and Genji was sort of posturing to defend. You saw Humanite sort of go deep in the back line to, to flash over the wall, get a kill. He's then running down BDD and what? Humanite has like 1.8k HP and just dies to a QEW, like instantly deleted off the four, map. Four fire drags though, right? Yeah, like I he mean... He had Infernal Soul. He had four four Infernal Souls. Yeah, but I mean you like... You know what I'm trying to say. He was still a 1v9 machine, you know, in that Oh, game. absolutely. No doubt, no doubt. Um... I want to talk a little bit, I want to transition to LNG a little bit because we were talking about Bertle in the top lane and how it wasn't exactly the most seeming, seamless uh, transition to swap over to him from Rascal. Uh, yeah, so when he played and he played the Aurelia, the big standout game was when Bertle played the Aurelia um, into the Fiora. That game was an absolute nightmare. Ole was 
all over him. I'm not trying to make a pun there. He was just all over him. And that lane was, it was a, it was a uh, flame horizon by what? It was like 15 minutes or something. It was like 17 minutes. Like all had like 170 CS. Brittle had like 60 something. It was just disgusting. Yeah, like, I got the timer here. 16.45 to be exact. Yeah. I remember they said it on broadcast. So 16 minutes, 45 seconds, flame horizon. That is nuts. Uh, and, and you could talk about the matchup and how the matchup isn't great. But I guess there were a few top laners, one of them, notably Finn, who was saying some of the things that he did wrong. He should have taken bone plating and things of that nature, should have gone Doran's shield, stuff like that. So apparently, even if the matchup isn't so good, there are things that he could have done different to make it easier on himself. And he didn't. So there, there's got to be a little bit of um, maybe not flame, but criticism thrown his way. And well, I mean, Rascal ended up getting put right back in. So, yeah. And I mean, like, Honestly, like it wasn't like a game where you know top lane ganked or he got tower dove and lost the big wave. Like no, like Ale was literally controlling the lane from level one. Ale was sacrificing his own you know first initial CS on the wave to zone off Birdall from CS and XP. And you can kind of see like Ale was level four when Birdall was level two, forcing recalls. His tower, his TP had already been burned. He after he burned his TP and then got tower dove, died, and the game was pretty much over from there. Like. He, like, like I said in that other game, like, you, you cannot win a game when your lane is so far behind like that, especially against good teams. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, another guy that people weren't too impressed with his performance today was Icon. A lot of people saying that he was just absolutely trolling, and he kind of was. He was kind of getting run over for most of the day, and he's had a, he had a pretty good play-in, so it's a little disappointing to see, like, as the tournament went on, he got a little bit worse and a little bit worse, and then suddenly he just was absolutely useless specifically the game against mad lions he was getting absolutely dumped on uh against a, when you're playing aurelia and to poppy it's not going to go well not to mention in that game specifically they had Jax, leeson aurelia and leona all of which are going to get countered by poppy's w um but yet he, he was definitely the standout in that game just getting absolutely run over yeah i mean and also even in the lissandra game that he played you know jensen was absolutely smashing him but kind of like you mentioned, like he had a really good playing tournament and he seemed like this really flexible guy who's playing a lot of things. We saw him play Zed. He what did he, play? he played Zed, Lissandra, Gragas, and LeBlanc. Looked really, really good. His Gragas mid was really insane against Chovy's Trindamir. I think we, we've sort of seen Trindamir, you know, not really live up to the hype in terms of it being a mid lane power pick. But I also think True, that's, actually, yeah. I also think that's due to, you know, the meta right now and what other champions in each roles have been able to like been able to do. Rakan seems like an insane pick into Trindomir just for the sheer amount of peel that you can provide for your team by charming up to Trindomir, by Wing him, by shielding your allies, by doing basically your job as that champion in those kinds of games is to just prevent Trindomir from getting onto your backline, which is really, really good. And I think with you know a lot of the sort of peeling champions that we're seeing out of the meta cannon even as well while people are doing this big old glass cannon thing cannon's also a really good peeler himself if the enemy team is trying to dive right on top of you but yeah icon his playing stage versus his main stage was very very different you know basically in three of their six or three of their seven games like he basically just got absolutely stomped and you know teams won the game through him and you know i uh, feel like a broken record here at this point like when one of your lanes is getting shit on this hard it's very difficult to win yeah definitely and i i mean we also i still want to talk a little bit more about ale uh large frog pointing into the live chat that he was a he was giga smurfing for pretty much the whole tournament i agree i was only a little bit disappointed in the last game uh his cannon was a little bit lackluster a lot of times where he was uh, i was saying this while watching he was way too thirsty flashing ulting trying to find guys that he's just not in range of and the, the flash R from Kennen is so valuable that you need to make sure if you're going to use it, 
that you're going to get some kills and get something out of it. And too many times was using it, uh, sometimes getting one kill, which is okay, but sometimes getting none, which is really bad. You lose so much pressure and you can't really team fight anymore without it. So I thought t his tiebreaker game um, was the only was the only game the the game against Mad Lion specifically was the only game that I thought Ale struggled this tournament. Uh, for most of the day, he looked really really good though, and most of the tournament, honestly, uh, really really solid performance. I will say though that he was hyped up as being the new Bin of 2021. So Bin, the top laner of Sooning in last year's Worlds, he was hyped up, or Ale, excuse me, was hyped up as being Bin 2.0 this year. I would take Bin last year over Ale this year, despite the fact that I still thought Ale had a great tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's close, but what, you know, I think Ale, you know, his strengths clearly reside in the straight up split push carry champions. And when he was forced to play more team fight oriented and more, not for himself necessarily, but for the team, I'm mainly, you know, talking about his one Kennen game and his uh, Gwen game before that. Um, you know, two. You know, Gwen kind of fairly similar to a lot of these other Jax, Fiora, Irelia type champions that he's been playing both in the LPL and at Worlds. But it does feel like, you know, that the very split push heavy champions is his style. And, you know, when he did kind of have to reach outside of that, he wasn't as insane. Not to say that he was bad at them, but kind of like you mentioned, like he did have, you know, he had a big advantage in the top lane in that cannon. Like he was getting focused quite a lot. He was getting a lot of return kills, turning around 1v2s, turning around 1v1s, 1v3s. And, you know, towards the end of the game, he, he got a little bit too excited, was flashing him when he shouldn't be, was ulting when he shouldn't be on, you know, maybe only a single member as opposed to saving it for kind of like the greater good of the team fight. But overall, I, I think he still looked really good. It was just, you know, I guess the other player to really talk about off of LNG is I don't think Tarzan kind of lived up to the hype either. I think a lot of people saw him coming into the worlds as maybe the best jungler, you know, maybe top two, top three, kind of along with Canyon and, and maybe Tian uh, or... um. JJ from EDG, um, but he just didn't seem to have the impact that everybody thought he was going to have. And not to say that I think he b played bad, because I don't think he played bad, but it was just more like, you know, kind of how I felt about Knight last year, where he was supposed to be this god coming in who was going to run over everybody in his role, and it didn't really happen. But not to say that he played bad, it just it didn't no, pan out like right. everyone thought it did. I agree, I 100%. I, he didn't have a bad tournament, but when you have that kind of hype, it's like you expect a little bit more out of him. And so I, I think you're spot on when it comes to Tarzan specifically. Um, I, I do want to get, I want to talk about Mad Lions because I want to get back to the Kennen stuff because I was a little bit critical of Armut today um, because, well, in the early game, he kept wasting his ultimate um, on moments where you don't really have any kill potential with it. And like I mentioned earlier, when you don't use the Kennen ulti and flash, or when you use the Kennen ulti or flash, you lose a lot of pressure. That's even more true early on because you are such a free dive if you don't have cannon ulti and he got punished for that three times uh what what game was that that was, was the against, tl one yeah. right mm -hmm. yeah yes it was against alfari because alfari was playing the 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 j4 mm -hmm. that was where i was like a little bit disappointed with armut even though i still think armut had a good tournament he's uh he's my boy i love armut um i think his cannon could have been a little bit earlier but even even as the game went on that same game he started to get some really good cannon ultis as the game went on so it wasn't all doom and gloom but um yeah, pretty good tournament from Armut overall, but I just uh, a little bit of criticism for his cannon. Yeah, I think you know Mad Lions, similar to Team Liquid, obviously had had a much better week two round robin than week one. Um, the main player for me on Mad Lions, I guess players, I thought were playing really really well today were Karzi and Kaiser. I think you know we saw them come out pretty slow in the first half of the round robin, and I think we also saw that at MSI. 
where people were wondering, oh, these guys are back on the international stage. They kind of flopped really hard at Worlds 2020. You know, MSI 2021 came around. They didn't weren't necessarily the best. But then by the end of MSI, they were going up against, you know, RNG's bot lane in the group stage, beat RNG. They went up against Damwon's bot lane, took Damwon to a best of five, or took Damwon to five games in a best of five, kind of off the back of Karzi and Kaiser in that BO5. And, you know, we really saw it today. Karzi and Kaiser were playing really, really well. Um, similar in that Team Liquid game, like their the uh, Misfortune and Rakan were really stand out to me. I'm really liking yep. Rakan in this tournament. I think right now Rakan's the best support. I think it pairs really, really well with, you know, your Misfortune, your Ezreal. Uh, sometimes it can go well with the Philios if, you know, your typical enchanters are banned. It's kind of like, you know, it's not really an enchanter per se, but it kind of, it does provide that peel that these, you know, Lulus and Namis can provide. Not necessarily the healing and the aggressiveness early in lane, but... It's insane at team fighting. It, it works super well against a lot of the dive that a lot of these teams have been running, like the Kennen, like the Jarvan, like the uh, the it's Kiana. Made for some nice yeah. Syndra combos as well. It's mm -hmm. really nice to 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 CC chain it with yeah. Syndra. As well. I, I just think it works and, with so many champions in the meta right now, and, and I'm really liking yep. you know just to pick in general. And it's always a great engage tool, right? That's what it's always been, and it's being that. It's being really, it's it's really valuable pick. So I couldn't agree more. And the other thing too, since you're mentioning Carzi, uh, I want to remind people that he was kind of the reason they lost that game to LNG last week. Not completely, but like he was the one that got picked that led to a lot of objectives for the side of LNG. Uh, I remember Tarzan picking him off. And so when one of the games, when a mistake you make. Uh, leads to a loss it's really nice to be able to have a chance to bounce back and i think that's what he did today so i thought uh, i think you're right i think karzi looked really good and i think just the bot lane in general looked looked really good not as impressed with humanoid today um not really making much happen honestly i was a little bit disappointed I, i've expected a little bit more because as the lec season went on he became one of the better or better mid laners as as the season went on yeah i, I for me honestly i don't think he's played very well this tournament um mm -hmm. you know to be honest his victor game like kind of got saved by the fact that mad lines were able to drag it out for so long and he was really able to scale because that's what you really want right now is you know you, you want to be able to reach late game as your mid laners but you know victor is like a super scaling pick as opposed to a lot of these other mid laners like rise like cinder champions who i think turn on much faster leblanc silas i just think there's a lot more champions that you should be prioritizing first as opposed to victor didn't really like you know picking victor on four like if you're going to pick victor at least pick it until like five when you've kind of seen the rest of the team comp because i think beat or the the comp that genji ran um into mad lions was just like super super genji favored but you know the game kind of ended up getting stalled out mad lions was able to come back a little bit but i also think that was kind of due to genji's hesitancy um and you know they play slow yeah they've always played slow that's mm -hmm. that's what you get with genji yeah and so, uh armu criticism right because that does yeah. give teams a chance to get back in the game but it's it's not always bad to play safe but sometimes you do give up a little bit of uh some opportunities to give the other team to scale but anyway armu was having a, a bit of fun in that last tiebreaker game refresh my memory uh, he was inting on irelia he, he was inting on irelia basically you know taking mm. taking fights going way too early forcing bad fights i, I think oh, honestly yes, yes, i, I yes, think okay. mad lions probably win that game if armut like just doesn't go in a bunch of these different times he made some really bad like mid lane engages where he's queuing on to like he's queuing into two or two to three enemies uh, there was that fight at dragon where you know his whole team is getting zoned by bdd syndra and he's like alt queuing in i think every time you go in as Aurelia or in that game specifically he kept getting exhausted too which makes it look yeah. a little bit worse but that's that's just a counter to Aurelia exhaust 
is always going to happen. I do want to, because I, I guess I wasn't really specific enough when I was talking about Humanoid and why I was a little bit disappointed. The, the first thing that comes to mind is the game against TL, where he's like, he, he kept getting caught hitting turrets against a TF. Like, hey, dude, you're laning against a TF. Like, he's going to ulti and catch you. And that happened multiple times. Um, twice, twice specifically, what comes to mind. Maybe, maybe it happened more than that, but I do remember two instances where, like, he has no business sitting hitting a turret, and then he just gets TF ultied and and dies both times. Like that to me was very solo Q esque, and I'm like, these games matter way too much to be asleep and not be respecting TF ulti. Mm -hmm. Who is your lane opponent? Like you should know that your lane what champion your lane opponent is playing, and it seemed like you didn't know. So that was that was a little bit strange and honestly costly when they're when they're playing TL. Yeah, and I guess Team Liquid is the last team to talk about it in this group. Like like we said at the start, the NA three three curse continues. Uh, TL's gone it's three fake. and three now. TL's gone three and three at Worlds now for I think three years or four years in a row. In twenty eighteen, um, they were three three. KT and EDG got out of that group. Twenty nineteen, they had IG and Damwon. They went three and three, didn't get out of that group. Twenty twenty, they had G two Sooning. They went three and three, didn't get out of this group. And then you know, unfortunately, they go three and three, lose the tiebreaker match. Unfortunately, don't get out of the group. It's just a curse, I guess. But uh, I think for the most part, TL, you know, they put up a really good fight in this group. I think a lot of people were still of the opinion that TL was going to be either three or four in this group, depending on how the play-in stage kind of panned out with the team that they were going to get. And I think when everyone saw that LNG was playing very, very well in the play-in stage, people kind of recognized, like, it's probably going to be either TL um, or Gen G coming off, you know, off of pre-tournament um expectations people were thinking that it was either going to be G tl or gen g fighting for three four and you know potentially punching up for that second seed um but i think they played you know better than expectations which is what you can ask for for north american teams um yep. it you know i think the standout player for team liquid has got to be jensen i think he had a really sure. really great day too i don't think any other tl player really stood out and was you know making a lot happen other than jensen in these last couple of games his syndra against lng was absolutely disgusting um, his e even in that loss against Mad Lions, his TF I think was doing a lot of work in the split push in the side lanes when things Definitely. kind of were falling apart and they were kind of losing their lead. Jensen was kind of the one keeping them in it. I just thought he had a really good day today. Jensen's always a great Worlds player. He's unfortunately had a couple in these last couple three and three years. He's had some poor singular games. The, the ones that mainly stick out is I think that last game against IG they had in their final uh, game of 2019 groups, where it's basically win you're in, lose you're out. And that was, I think he was playing like LeBlanc into Kiana. How do you remember this, man? I don't, like, oh. as soon as Worlds is done, I'm gone, man. Yeah, I don't Is know. Is well, from two years ago? Yeah, he was he was playing LeBlanc into Rookies Kiana, and he got, like, solo killed two times within, like, five minutes or something, and it was, like, doomed after that. But, I don't know. Jens, Jensen's always a great Worlds player. Good to see that he played well again. Unfortunately, he didn't get out, though. Yeah, and when... When we watch TL, pretty much the whole year, you always rely on Corey JJ finding the picks. I've mentioned it a thousand times in this podcast that Corey JJ is the guy finding the picks. Jensen was the one this tournament that was finding the picks with his Syndra. And usually Core JJ was following up. Usually if Core JJ is playing like a Rakan, for example, the Rakan gets the engage and is followed up by a Syndra combo. It was Jensen finding these picks over and over again, uh, which is so crazy because like when you've got two Core JJs on your team, like that's kind of you're you're in good hands. Unfortunately, like you said though, the three and three curse not good enough though. And uh, but yeah, he he was a monster. Really, really well uh, played. Pretty much the whole tournament for him. 
Um, one thing that was a little bit disappointing, I think, was the game where they put a bunch of resources into Alfari in the top lane. Um, mm. That was... Okay, he was playing Jace into Graves. What game was that? That was their second... Um, that was, was against Gen G, right? Yeah, that was their tiebreaker game against Gen G after they had just beat them the game before. Yeah, and the I, I'm not even so much disappointed with Alfari necessarily because sometimes it is his fault and, and sometimes the team needs to play around him um, to enable him to be aggressive. And maybe that's not what happened this game. I would have to go back and do some VOD review. But I, I mean, obviously no time for that. But the point is when you put a, a lot of resources into one guy and you're not able to get results out of it, it's either on the player or on the team to make that work. And it didn't work in that game specifically, which is very rare. Normally when you put the, the resources into Alfari, we've seen a lot of success, obviously on the world stage. It's not that simple, but that was something that kind of kind of sucked a little bit. Um, but with that said, again, it's not really even necessarily shade at, towards Alfari. He still had a pretty good tournament, I would say. Yeah, he he was kind of what we thought he was going to be, a strong top laner at the international level who wasn't really going to get bodied by all these other players, but you know had the potential to gain advantages for himself and for his team. And we did see that in that early game, but unfortunately, you know, TL wasn't really able to transition and do much out of it. Um, but yeah. I think that's also kind of the fact that, you know, Graves top is sort of popping up and becoming like a really strong power pick. It just feels like this champion, like it's very hard to kill within lane. Feels like you have to dive this champion early on in order to kill it and set it behind because once it hits just shield bow or like shield bow plus bloodthirster it's almost impossible to push the champion out of lane because of just how much healing you get from the champ and some credit could be given to gen g for maybe not allowing tl to snowball through that lead um again you have to go back and do a bunch of vod review to check that stuff out but regardless um, I think you could definitely say that every single team in this group played well, uh, but again, not everyone can move on. So three and threes, it's a curse, man. Not real. It's fake. Fugazi. Next. Well, uh, for Cloud9, that curse does not exist. Um, yeah, let's get into Group A. This was the uh, Group of Death, man. We made it out. Yeah, Group of Death Part Two, uh, where you know you get two pre-tournament favorites, uh, world champions from the previous year, and. D9, they make the miracle run happen in, in round two, and they make it out. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, after after the four-way tie today, it felt like this was going to be, like, the group to talk about because of how everything played out with the three-way tie. Um, and that was obviously really, really exciting as we were watching it all unfold. Cloud9 looked really, really good um, in both of their first games against Rogue and FPX. Um, I think, you know, the main player who stood up for me in those first two games was Blabber. It felt like he mm -hmm. was having a much better, you know, time on, on the second go around because we saw him really, really struggle against both Rogue and Damwon in their first round Robin, basically getting set behind early and then not being able to recover. And, you know, we kind of saw the opposite in both of these games where Blabber was getting ahead early. Rogue kind of flipped the game level one by doing a late invade with Braum. And I mean, that's not a bad decision. You know, Cloud9 just ended up getting the smite. It gave Blabber level 2, also gave him the red buff to get a kill, and then chased down Hansama again. And, you know, the way that Rogue drafted, they drafted early game to get ahead with the Draven Braum bot lane, and I think they were playing Lee Sin jungle as well, or maybe it was Kiana jungle. But, you know, an early game aggressive jungler that's supposed to get kills. And, you know, Cloud9 just basically started off the game with a 1,000 gold lead. Yeah, so I, I don't want to pretend like Cloud9 had the perfect day because there were some moments where they didn't look so great. But overall, like, what a turnaround, right? Like, what a turnaround from week one where they look like absolute trash. And I have to eat my words here because last week, if you go back and watch the VOD somewhere, or last week, it was like four or five days ago at this point. But whenever it was, our last episode, 
I said, like, I, I was totally convinced Cloud9 was just done. I It was specifically when we were talking about the Perks uh, split push, where they ended up doing, like, a base race, and we did we played the Azale clip of him kind of flaming Perks. I, I remember saying, like, that's when I knew Cloud9 was done. And, I, I mean, sure, I did mention you never know and blah, 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 because it's true, you never know. But still, I, I was, I, I considered them just fish out of water dead. And they came back and had a, a very good day. And, of course, the tiebreaker went in their favor where they got, like, a bye. And then they played great overall. Overall, they played yeah, great. What? <laughs> you want to talk about perks in that game? Because that game was insane and hella nerve-wracking to watch. Yeah, well, it felt like in both the Cloud9 Rogue tiebreaker and the final Mad Lions Gen G tiebreaker, like, there was clearly, like, a lot of nerves and a lot of stress going on in those games. Definitely. Because both of those teams were playing very conservative Un unwilling to make plays and the plays that you know ended up were the plays that were ended up being forced by either team were, were for the most part bad plays like we saw vulcan and blabber and even perks you know overextending to try to get these you know little mini engages with vulcan flash combos or blabber kick flashes or perks you know just trying to get a simple w q e in and we would see you know the enemy team you know easily punished you know similar to what we were just talking about in the mad lions gen g game where armut would try to go in deep for some random damage with irelia and he would just absolutely get obliterated on and or you know we were seeing you know players just go a little bit too deep to try to flash to get extra kills and they would end up getting you know returned one shot by somebody else but you know credit to perks in that game for one keeping his cool d despite a lot of the inting that was going on and playing really well you know when the moment came to it you know a lot around these late game dragon fights where he was finding picks in the enemy jungle to either kill people, burn stopwatches, burn GAs, and basically, you know, do his job of LeBlanc, you know, zoning over walls. You know, the threat of LeBlanc is if you don't have vision of her, she can easily jump over the wall and, and kill you with, with, you know, simple combos. But uh, definitely in the mid game, Perks was doing a bit of inting. No, so, yeah, I, I don't want to completely discount that there's some really poor plays that he's making in that game. But I think that is going to happen when you are playing a very aggressive style. And I think that's the style you need to play when you're playing LeBlanc. Like, let's be honest, he was chunking a lot of guys out and, and really applying a lot of pressure. And I remember saying in that game, I don't know if you remember this, JNT, I remember saying, like, he's playing really well when he's not inting, which is like XD, right? But... Seriously, though, he actually was playing really well, and I've been very critical of him. So I do need to say, like, he had a good game. I know when he when he's not in thing, right? But see, I I actually meant that. If you watch the laning phase of that game, he is playing forward in lane the whole time, applying so much pressure, all, zoning off of the wave just in laning phase. So he gave himself a huge lead before the inting even started. And in the late game, when he is inting, sometimes he's chunking guys out, allowing them to take objectives just by pushing them off the map. So not the cleanest game, but overall still really, really good. And he's playing LeBlanc the way you need to play it. So overall, I got to give props to Perks. I thought that that was a really good game out of him, despite the fact that, yes, there were some instances where he's making me sweat. A lot, well, making everyone sweat. Let's be honest, that game was nerve wracking as hell. But a good game yeah. is is the short shorter version. He played solid. Yeah, and and the other two games were kind of like what you expect from Cloud Nine when they were performing really well, and when they were really good. You know, it was Blabber making a lot of early plays going on with mid being able to be pushed and Perks following up on those plays, and we're also seeing a ton of Vulcan roams from bot lane. You know, we saw in that FPX game, you know, Cloud Nine. You know, after they got that triple kill in that mid lane fight. The game was pretty much over. Like they really ran away with that game after getting an early kill on bot lane. Then the random, you know, four for one in uh, the 
uh, in Cloud9's Red Side Jungle, and C9 just basically ran away with that game. I, I don't know if you want to move over to FPX next, or it doesn't yeah, really sure. matter, but Dude, we'll transition into that. This, like, man. Trying to remember these games is so hard. Like, I'm looking at it. I, I wrote notes to try to remember this stuff. It's so, like, foggy, because how many games have we watched in the last four days? There was nine know, just today, plus. man. I can't remember everything, even with the goddamn notes that I got here. Uh, quick shout-out to Annoying Mouse. I hope, um, I mean, maybe it's just anonymous, but Annoying Mouse, thank you for oh the stuff. God. Okay, JNT, go ahead with the F FPX stuff. Um, well, uh, FPX was, you know, doing a lot of inting uh, in this tournament. I think, you know, we kind of saw... I think early on, people kind of recognized that, you know, Damwon is a bit of a different beast uh, in this group. And I think people were, weren't expecting Damwon to look as good as they were after that first game against FPX in the first game of, I don't know if it was the first game of Worlds back in the first round, Robin. But we basically saw FPX get their ass handed to them by Damwon. And then FPX played a very close competitive game against Rogue. And then FPX played, you know, a very close game against Cloud9 in which Cloud9 basically threw the game towards to them. You know, and, you know, they went 2-1 and one in the first half of the round robin, but I think a lot of people recognize, like, hey, this team is not playing very good right now, and everyone was kind of expecting them to get their shit together in the second in the second round robin. But we pretty much saw the same exact thing when they went up against Damwon in the first game of the day. Uh, Nuggery just got hard-camped by, uh, by Damwon, I think. You know, people were kind of memeing, like, the all the, the pros and personalities who were doing a live viewing that, like, Damwon is just trying to get revenge for Nuggery leaving the team and wanting to go to FPX. Um, they basically hard camped him. It was a bit of a wonky, you know, draft out of FPX. It felt like they were kind of like trying to outsmart themselves with the, with what they were doing to try to get like an advantageous mid matchup for Doinby. But they ended up just having a really terrible matchup in top lane for Nuggery. He's playing Gragas into Jace. Was getting absolutely bullied in the early game. Was getting TF ulted on twenty four seven pretty much. And uh, you know, Canyon whipped up the Poppy jungle, and yep. was basically shutting everything down. You know, from the beginning of the game. You know, he invaded Tian multiple times. Uh, was stealing away TN camps, was then transitioning that into top dives. FPX just looked like a complete mess um, in this second half of the round robin, even in their tiebreaker against Rogue. Um, you know, they obviously played a very close game against Rogue uh, in their first game in the second round robin, but once that tiebreaker rolled around, like it was just a bit of the same thing where TN is forcing these plays that are going way too hard. Doin B is not generating the leads that everybody thought he was going to get. Um, I think, you know, the only part of FPX that I thought played very well at all was was their bot lane. I think their bot lane was solid and you know FPX bot lane isn't anything special, but you know they weren't playing bad by any means like they were doing their job. The rest of the team was just failing their job. Yeah, and the bot lane's not supposed to be their strength. It's not supposed to be a weakness to just to be clear, but it's not supposed to be the strength of FPX. Uh, usually a lot well a lot of times they play through the top lane and you see Nuggery kind of pop off, but we didn't see that. And to your point, specifically in the Damwon game, Showmaker was just out doing being doing B if that makes sense. Like doing B, we talk about it all the time. He's the guy that's going to shove and roam and help with his side lanes, but when you have Showmaker on the TF, obviously you could do that very well with TF and he did that. And then like you mentioned, Canyon on the Poppy. They're playing Gragas and Irelia and Lee Sin into it. It's just so cancer. We've seen a lot of good things out of Poppy this tournament, man. It's it's looking really good. And Canyon, he's a monster as well. So, yeah, what can you say? FPX just got stomped. And, and the other thing, too, is, like, you and I were both so confident. Like, well, I may, I, maybe I'm not representing you. I, I was definitely confident that FPX would bounce back and would make it out of this group. And, nah. No, man. They just look bad the whole time. I think people were thinking that 
you know, going into the second round robin, that Cloud9, people were hoping C9 was going to get one win. Like, that's what people were hoping for. They didn't yep. want the 0-6. They were like, okay, we can go up against Rogue. We can take this next game, and, like, maybe we'll look good against FPX or Damwon. Like, no, like, it was really FPX who was like, FPX looked like what C9 thought we were going to look like. And True, actually, yeah. For, for just basically, FPX to just break down both individually and as a team is just so surprising considering I think they were the pre-tournament favorites coming in, despite, you know, Damwon looking really good in the LCK and EDG beating them in the LPL finals. Nobody could have predicted this. I know the meme is like, you know, the auto pickums. If you didn't do your pickums, you basically got yeah. auto-picked into the perfect group A. Which, if you actually did your pickums, there's a very low likelihood that you actually predicted FBX to come in last and C9 to make it out the group. So, a group A was definitely the weirdest group for me. Um, but, you know, good for our name. We made it out, so I'll take it. Yeah, a lot of people were saying, like, if you actually did your pickums and this is what you came up with, like, I want what you're smoking is what you kept seeing on Twitter, right? Because in what world is this, like... No, man, there's no way you can predict FPX comes last. I mean, maybe somebody did. If you did, hats off to you. I don't know how you came up with that, but sure. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the other team that didn't make it at this group was Rogue. Um, yep. I think the thing with Rogue for me, which was really weird, is it felt like it felt like Rogue wasn't willing to take the risks that Cloud9 was willing to take. You know, I don't think Rogue was playing any worse than Cloud9 was for the majority of this group stage. You know, we did see some very low and high moments for Rogue in both of the FPX games uh, that Rogue played against FPX in that in the second round robin and in that first game against Cloud9 very early on in the tournament. You know, people were thinking like, well, you know, maybe if Rogue can, you know, beat FPX again in the second round robin, they could maybe tie break for, for second place going 3-3, three and three, hoping that FPX doesn't beat Damwon again. But, you know, we really saw in that tiebreaker game, like, it was a very close game back and forth with, you know, teams making mistakes, but it felt like Rogue wasn't willing to pull the trigger when it came to these sort of, you know, 60-40 plays that, you know, a lot of these teams kind of thrive on. And, you know, teams, you know, more recently have, you know, been doing a lot more at the World Championship in order to, you know, gain some sort of control in the game because when you're playing this strictly slow and slow-paced style, you're normally going to get outplayed by a lot of these Korean and LPL teams. But it just felt like, you know, when the time came, Rogue wasn't willing to risk it. And that was ultimately, I think, why they lost against Cloud9. They weren't able to pull the trigger, you know, in up numbers and barons. They weren't willing to fight for dragons. And when they were, they were often too slow. And, you know, Cloud9 was already set up for it. And it just felt like, you know, they didn't, not that they didn't want it, because they obviously did, but the gameplay didn't show it. Yeah, I, I didn't think that there was too great of a showing out of, out of the solo laners. Uh, I thought that in the LEC, you saw a lot more out of Larson specifically. And, and he, honestly, even Odoamne as well. But I, I expect more out of Larson because to me, I did think he was one of the better top or excuse me, mid laners in the LEC. And I don't really think we saw him shine all that much. Like, this is one of those where it's like it wasn't a terrible tournament out of him. But if Rogue is to move on, he's one of your guys that you need to be solid. And uh, I mean, not a lot of pressure put out by him. He didn't really do too much. Uh, dying a lot. Uh, just yeah I just wasn't really impressed with him whatsoever and where I did think they looked really good is I thought Hansama had a great tournament I, I think that Hansama played well enough to move on but unfortunately the team didn't and I, I think that Hansama is the best AD carry in the LEC um, I I've thought that for a while now and I think this tournament just kind of confirmed it for me I think that guy's a monster his MF was I mean everyone's MF is awesome right now to be fair like that champion's kind of nuts but 
he's a guy you can always rely on to get damage out in a team fight, and that's what you get out of an 80, out of, out of an 80 carry. That's what you want is to be able to stay in the fight, output damage, and not get picked off. That's exactly what Hansama does, and pretty much no matter what you put him on. So I was really, really impressed with him, and I'm kind of sad that we don't get to see him move on because uh, I think he definitely deserved it. Yeah, and I think the other rogue player to point out is obviously inspired. I think he also played pretty well for the most part in a group where going into it, you know, there was a lot of great junglers in this group should they be playing very, very well. I mean, yes, Blabber has struggled as of late, but people recognize that when this guy is playing well and, and has a lead, he, he's very, very dangerous. And you obviously have, you know, Canyon, who's, I think, unanimously, in my opinion at least, was the best jungler in the world. Um, and then you had Tian coming in, who, you know, a lot of people were hyping up a lot just because of how well FPX was playing. And, you know, Tian was definitely, he was playing really bad. But I think Inspired... You know, for what was going on around him with the solo lane struggling, you know, his fiddle six was great. Um, his Olaf game in the second, or sorry, not his Olaf, the, uh, the his J4 game in that second FPX game in the second round Robin for the tiebreaker was really, really great. It was like one of the only Jarvan games that I thought was actually good at Worlds so far. Feels like a lot of junglers are really struggling on this champion. But I think that's because, one, how good, like, the vision control generally is for a lot of these, you know, higher tier teams. You know, when you're spotted out early on or people are kind of tracking your pathing, it's really hard to make Jarvan ganks work unless you're doing some very creative pathing within the early game. And I think what we're seeing, you know, be very successful with this is looking for level two or level three tower dives early on in bot or top lane, not doing your traditional full clears in, into crabs because at that point, you know, the enemy team usually has a pretty good idea of where you are and then can sort of track you and so forth. But I thought Inspired's J4 game was really good. His Olaf game in the, you know, the second one against Cloud9, it wasn't bad by any means, but I think... He wasn't able to get a whole lot done because his solo lanes were just so weak and so unwilling to play aggressive and push up that like he's just like throwing Q Olaf. He's not going in at all. Very different from the Blabber style Olaf, but Inspired mm -hmm. also played pretty well in my opinion. Yeah, the one thing that I will say, so I think Inspired's great. I, I actually had him as the best jungler out of the LEC coming into the tournament. Not so much maybe after. I mean, I mean, maybe he is. I don't know. I'm just not as confident anymore because there were some lackluster performances. Overall, I think he had a good tournament. But I do need to say that that Fiddlesticks ulti in the bot lane was so bad. I'm not giving it my Bean Soup award, but that was Bean Soup, that ulti. There's no yeah, the world where you ulti like that. That was so bad. If, if people don't know what I'm talking about, he ultis and he's not even close to in range. Uh, to dive bot lane, he he ulties from the other, not from Tribrush, from the other side of the wall where Tribrush is, like yeah. not even close. And like then where they the new bush up, was added. They end up scuff almost where the blast cone is. Yeah, that's where I'm talking. And and honestly, that kind of that dive really went kind of bad and wasn't really anything that helped them too much. But um, oh, again, overall, I still think Rogue is a good team. Uh, I think it's a little bit disappointing that they don't get to move on, but. Hey, I'll take NA moving on. So it's it's no complaints here. Yeah. And then uh lastly, you know, Dam one obviously went six zero in this group. I think, you know, after all the groups have concluded uh, with, you know, the LPL teams kind of struggling and, you know, favorites, you know, getting knocked out or, or you know, our opinion dropping of them. Dam one to me are now like the clear cut favorite. I think they were already in that discussion of favorites along with EDG and FPX, but EDG mm -hmm. struggling a little bit in the second round robin. Dam one they look pretty much perfect. Um, they obviously had a they had a close game against Cloud9, um, but I think that was also due to just the draft that they went for. They went for this super late game draft with Cassidy and Jack solo lanes, oh, and you man. saw you know the game basically reached a point where Cassidy you know hit level sixteen and just became too strong. 
basically the minute that he hit 16, every single fight after that w was just completely swung in Dan Juan's favor. Cloud9 was still doing a really good job of, yeah. you know, like we've said before, taking risks, like going for dragons in 4v5s. There's two separate occasions where they were down one member after getting picked off in the sideline, but then forcing the dragon. They did end up getting Mountain Soul in that game, but you kind of you could kind of see them getting pulled around the map. There was times where they were trying to, you know, run to Showmaker and Khan in the side lanes in like 5v2s, and they would come out getting three kills, and you could sort of see C9 get, getting really outscaled, but Damwon just looks so damn good. I mean, Showmaker's a beast, Canyon's a beast, Ghost and Barrel, I think, are they're playing much better than they were the last time we saw them at an international competition at MSI. And, Barrel uh, was rough at MSI, if I yeah. remember right. And uh, Khan is looking like as good as he's ever been pretty much yeah yeah I, that's the biggest surprise for me because i think khan had a good split like the, he had a good year honestly he, he was fine in spring and summer but i don't think he was this good and now it's like okay if you're getting like a world's buff that's kind of scary and i think you're absolutely right that they are now the definite tournament favorite when you go 6-0 uh, it's hard to think otherwise right um and to your point i think cloud nine did play good in that game against um uh, against Dam one but it, like you mentioned when when the castle and hit 16 we've seen that a million times before and then canyon also had a baron steal as well that yeah. i wanted to point out yeah the baron steal on the lease in if c9 gets that baron i don't think it's like they automatically win the game but your situation definitely improves there because you know you know w with the comp that Dam one was running like they basically had no you know wave clear at that point into the game i think what, they have they had mf right but like that was their only wave clear that they had like jackson castle cannot step up the baron waves so I'd say that Cloud9 wins that game if Canyon doesn't steal that Baron, but you also got to credit him where he jumps into the pit w with Lee Sin Q, kicks Blabber out before, like, and, you know, smites it before Blabber is able to get back in because, you know, you're kind of locked out from anything, you know, for a few moments after that Lee Sin kick finishes. And we almost mm -hmm. saw it happen again, like, later on with the Mountain Drake steal. But yeah, to me, you know, Damwon have, they have the best mid laner right now. They have the best jungler. They have one of the best top laners, and uh, their bot lane's not inting, so. They're just winning. Yeah, and uh, shout out to Anonymous again in the live chat. He said, Khan got the Penta. I forgot about that. Was that last week or was that this week? Oh, that was this week, yeah. Against, yeah, uh, I mean, how sick is that that he gets a Penta like in yeah. his last tournament? Like, that's awesome. I, I can't believe that was this Andalusia. week. I, anyway, everything's all meshed together, man, because the games are so close to each other. I can't remember. Anyways, that group was really, really fun. It feels so good that NA gets out of groups. Uh, this year because it's been two years since we've done that or that two years that we didn't do that and of course it's cloud nine because they always get out of groups when they're not supposed to but mm -hmm. anyway uh i don't got anything more uh oh wait we forgot to mention vulcan and his alistair actually oh my JNT, god jnt i know you've got some thoughts i'll let you i'll let you take that one i just thought like his alistair in that last tiebreaker game like similar to what i was saying before like you could see a lot of mistakes were being made there was a ton of nerves in that game like if you just go back and watch Vulcan that entire game, it's just hilarious how many combos he messes up. He he missed that flash Q on the five man realm warp right at the end of the game in that elder fight, and they did like oh. they they posted like the the mic check or whatever on Twitter from that game at the end in the last sequence, and like Vulcan was like visibly like cringing and like uh, it was it was hilarious. There there was like another knock up where he flashed into four people, basically missed everybody, and then knocks you know. Olaf into his own teammate on two separate occasions in that game he knocked Olaf into Sven killing him because your AD carry just has an Olaf on top of him all of a sudden but it's they just... win the team fight though yeah, right? it's, that's it's the hilarious. funny thing 
the realm warp goes right in he's got a free pulve on the whole team he pulls too early and whiffs and then bonks the olaf right on yeah. top of his ad carry they win the team fight still that was way too funny that whole game was like uh well it was a clown fiesta there you go how fitting all right let's go to group b yeah, group b was probably the most boring group uh out of all of them it was mainly because the group was just decided super early on uh the second game of the day uh, was T1 versus 100 Thieves. Basically, you know, 100 Thieves were playing to keep the, themselves alive in the tournament uh, because should you lose that game, you then lose the head-to-head -head against T1. And should you even be tied 3-3, three and three, you know, they, T1 moves along because they have the 2-0 head-to-head. Um, yep. A lot of people were flaming 100 Thieves for this game, and I kind of think rightfully so, just mainly because, similar to Rogue, they didn't have that willingness to just risk it and go in. You know, they had this very early game draft not not early game draft sorry they had this very team fight oriented draft with the malphite with the oriana and with the so uh, hold, hold up a sec i just want to clarify we're talking about 100 thieves versus t1 that game yeah okay okay sorry go ahead yeah well they had this very you know team fight engage oriented draft with the malphite with the oriana with the leona and we saw apart from like the first 10 minutes of the game 100 thieves were just unwilling to pull the trigger and they just basically slowly bled out like the kill score was only eight to three and I feel like when you're playing with your tournament life, with your tournament life on the line, to end out a game like that where you're not even like willing to fight just feels pretty shitty, you know? So I think that there was more to that game than it looked. I think the reason why they couldn't do anything, this was a game, this was a faker diff in my opinion, which I know that's like the easy cop out is, oh, faker so good. Like, no, it was a faker diff. He's on the Zoe in that game. And every time 100 Thieves tries to contest for vision, they're getting a Zoe Q or a Zoe bubble in the face. And faker is poking them out over and over and over again. And when that's happening, it's so hard to engage. So for me, I I'm not so much in the agreement. I don't necessarily agree that 100 Thieves wasn't doing anything. I think you're trying to, but you just can't. Because I think there was also Jace in that game, if I remember right. They were just, like, when you got, you're getting poked at over and over and over again, if it's the game that I'm thinking of, they couldn't get in and they couldn't contest anything for that reason. Faker was landing everything. And, I mean, you can engage when you're chunked to 25% HP, but you're just going to die and give up more objectives. So I actually didn't have a problem with the way... Uh, 100 thieves played necessarily i just think that one or that t1 played better and i thought they just yeah they just got poked out yeah i mean it's definitely a difficult situation like when you are up against champions like zoe and jace who can poke you from you know a thousand range away but like at what point like you just have to say like we got to go in i think you know we were previously talking about the gen g versus team liquid game where bdd was like smurfing on the zoe but you know tl didn't really have those engaged tools to be able to force a fight whereas 100 thieves did with those champions I just mentioned, Malphite, Oriana, Leona. And, like, yeah. if you have the tools, like, obviously, it's a difficult situation. I get that. But, like, when you mm -hmm. got the tools, you got to use them at some point. And it, it just feels really bad from, I think, a viewer perspective and probably from, their like, their own perspective to just, like, Definitely. end this game how it did. Yeah, no, it does feel bad to watch because it's so helpless. They can't make anything happen, and you just slowly bleed out. And to your point, you need to make something happen. But, again, it's it's just so hard to find something to do. So there's there's two sides of the argument there. The other thing, too, that I would, I would say uh, with the BDD one that we saw against TL is that we had uh, Alfari on the Jace, and you could kind of poke back. Like, if a Zoe is is running up towards you you can kind of poke back so it's a little bit easier to get in not even just poking the zoe out you could poke anyone out with the jace so again it's a little bit easier to fight for position when you have poke on your side which i guess 
100 Thieves didn't have that. But to your point, when you have the Malphite, you can slash R to engage and punish if they're in your face. And that's probably what they needed to try to do, but they couldn't find a way to do it. Um, overall, though, I think 100 Thieves still had a good tournament. I mean, you go 3-3, three and three, right? Uh, again, it's a curse. It, it, uh, what, what can I say? It, I hate 3-3. Three and three. It, uh, it doesn't work. Never. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there wasn't too much to this group after that. The only other game to really talk about um, is the T1 EDG game, because for the most part, th that was the game that was going to decide whether or not T1 was going to play a tiebreaker with EDG, should both of those teams then win out the rest of their games. And, you know, it was basically the complete opposite of what happened with uh, the first T1 EDG game, where, you know, there was a lot of early game, you know, there's a lot of early game focus from T1 with trying to go up to the top side of the map and, and basically EDG countering all those plays, making that unable to happen. But in this game, we kind of saw T, uh, T1 run that same comp into it with the TF in the mid lane with an aggressive early pick like Poppy, but you were really able to see that T1 was able to force a lot harder. I think that was also because of the Poppy jungle. You know, all these LCK oh, teams, all these LCK teams really love to run this Poppy. Canyon had a great showing on it. Owner had a great showing on it in this game. I can't remember. There was one other person who played Poppy. I think it was El Yoya um, in the first, or maybe it was today. Maybe it was their first round robin. But I think there's only been those three Poppy games so far. But both of those two Poppy games we saw from LCK teams have been looking really, really good. Like, uh, again, you had it into a pretty, you know, this kind of counterpick against Talon where you basically can't ever use, you know, your, your parkours over the wall uh, while Poppy's on top of you because you'll instantly get grounded, slammed into the wall. And uh, we just saw in this game, they just sent the house at Flandre again. This time wasn't able yeah. to survive. We saw, you know, JJ try to counter gank the lane and try to, you know, get some return kills by jumping in. But when he jumped in, he was just getting slam jammed by the Poppy and the cannon. Yeah, this was probably owner's best showing of the tournament so far. It was a jungle gap. JJ couldn't do anything. Uh, and that's in big part because of the poppy. So, I, I mean, I, I know we keep talking about the poppy. I think we're going to have to see some bans on this thing because it's actually so good against a lot of the uh, high-priority picks like Lee Sin right now or even Aurelia we're seeing a lot of. Like, Gragas we haven't seen so much of, but it, we've seen it. And, and so, anyways, I guess my point is it, it's got to be... I think you need a ban there because we could see... I mean, Owner just absolutely gapped him in that game. And ultimately, that was the difference in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing too, that I actually, the other game that stood out to me was the 100 Thieves versus DFM game. Um, game didn't end up <laughs> yeah. mattering, of course, but, but there was something that was really impressive to me that stood out. Um, and so I needed to shout out 100 Thieves for it. You could tell that DFM didn't want to fight anymore and that they were going to try to TP behind or rather use TF ulti, uh, to ulti behind, take inhib and try to backdoor. And what they did was they used TF ulti, they, he ports in, he puts a ward down, and Trindamir TPs to that ward. Now, the reason why I wanted to, to give props to 100 Thieves for it is because they knew exactly what DFM was going to try to do. As soon as the TF ulti goes off, you saw 100 Thieves just book it right back to their base. They knew exactly what was happening. And another thing that they did that, I mean, is just good, like, it, it's not like a mind-blowing play but it did stand out was they put a pink ward in between both inhibitors knowing that this was the play for dfm and so being able to read that that's the what the play was going to be before it even happened shows that 100 thieves were really well prepped for their win condition of that game and what their loss condition for that game was and immediately they got back they stopped the base race you had who he uses alistair to punt the trindamir into the fountain and ended up uh holding on to that game so huge props i thought that that was a real five head um, just play all together. 
they knew what was going to happen. They were ready for it and they executed on it. And yes, it's against DFM who went 0-6, but that still shows that they're in the game even when the games don't matter. Yeah, I think that was obviously like a pretty exciting sequence because, you know, they did have the open nexus and, you know, against Twisted Fate, like that should, that's something that you should be aware of and 100 Thieves rightfully did that. And, you know, you kind of saw like, it got pretty dicey there at the end. Like, I think, what did they get? Like a third of the way or maybe a quarter of the way from killing the nexus and... Oh, that thing was dead. Yeah, yeah, no, it was probably three or four autos. It was about a quarter HP. Yeah, yeah. but it was close. And I mean, um, who he knocked the Trindamir into the Nexus after what did they 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 kicked him from one side of the Nexus to the other to the other, and then they Halsar head headbutted him into the Nexus, <laughs> yeah. which basically negates the Trindamir ulti. It kind of just like shoots right through that. Um, and, well, that and that's why I got so excited about that play specifically, and why like they were ready for it because another second and this game's over, right? So like. The fact that they were ready is why they won that game. Because, yeah, it's, it's a one-second diff. Yeah, and I guess the one other game we should talk about, I just escaped my mind for a sec, is the 100T EDG game. Because, you know, it just... Th this is also part of the reason why going 3-3 three and three for 100 Thieves felt very disappointing. And the way that it all worked out with them just getting eliminated right from the get-go is when we see this team actually play aggressive and try to win, they played really well. I think, you know, mostly the credit this game has to go to, I think, Epi, Ihuhi, and Someday... Epi knew he had a really great game getting multiple solo kills onto Viper and Mako, who I think, for the most people, people were saying was the best bot lane coming into the tournament were Viper and Mako. Um, and they played really well in lane. They got a huge bot lane lead early on to the game. And then as the game went sort of mid and late, Someday was doing a really great job finding flanks on Kennen. We've seen, obviously, we're just talking about it, the strength of Kennen and this really one-shotty build that people are going for. But... Uh, I think someday FBI and who he had really great games in those ones. We saw closer on a more aggressive jungle pick because, um, you know, we were kind of disappointed that he was playing these more supportive passive junglers like the J4, like the Trundle. And we want to see him on these things like the Lee Sin and the Viego. And, uh, you know, despite them looking well and winning the game, it ultimately didn't mean anything. It just, yeah, so it just took away EDG's ability to tie break T1 for the first seed. I want to echo the uh, the thoughts about the the 100 Thieves bot lane because they were very hit and miss uh, in this tournament. But when they when they looked good, they were able to compete with any bot lane. And I think that that's a very good sign going forward that we have a bot lane that can compete with these really, really solid bot lanes. Yes, they were a little bit inconsistent. They didn't have all good performances, but I would say mostly good performances uh, with a couple of hiccups. But that's a really good sign because we th we thought that this bot lane was really good in North America, and you never really know until you see them go up against international competition. I think that this tournament did confirm that they are a very good bot lane. Yes, they're not the greatest, uh, but definitely good enough to compete, and that's a very good sign that we have that. Um, Another player that I want to talk about for 100 Thieves was Abadage because I felt like his laning phase wasn't so great this tournament. Uh, the reasons being is that a lot of times there would be plays happening in side lanes that he was always late to TP to, sometimes because he's out of mana or sometimes just because he's slow reacting. Uh, regardless, you could still say that his laning phase is weak if, he, if the other mid laner is getting the jump on you, getting the prio and getting to the side lanes before you are. That would be my criticism for Abadage is that he just wasn't getting uh, to his side lanes in time to help out and they were falling behind because of it. Um, not a terrible tournament, but that's that was the main area for me where I think he, he needs a little bit of improvement is his laning so that he doesn't, he's not so slow to help out his side lane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but I think for the most part, 100 Thieves performed, I think about as expected. I think people knew that they were going to be, they were going to be better than DFM. 
um, and they got the 2-0 over them. But I did also think that, you know, should they should we see them look like they did in the LCS finals? Like they had it they had a chance against either T1 or EDG to take one game away. It was just yeah. unfortunate that the time that they did it was already too late. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But uh yeah, no, I'm happy with how they performed. I mean, for me, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a, in a little bit, but for me, if a team shows up if a team shows up at Worlds from North America, that makes me happy because well, as we've seen in the past, it, that's not always the case. Show up meaning perform just, well, not just show up and get eliminated. Of course, of course, right? I mean, the example would be TSM last year who just laid an egg and yeah. Airport I mean, speed we could run. Yeah, like the, there's a big difference of just because both teams didn't move on does not mean the performances were equal. But um, I don't really have anything else on Group B. A little bit disappointed that they don't get out. But again, I think they had a good showing. And I think that you had two really good teams in your group. What can you do? Yep. Uh, we'll talk about Group C last. Um, definitely got a bit spicy in uh, the second round, Robin, with how everything played out. Uh, Fnatic was able to, you know, get a win. Uh, their first mm-hmm. win was the first. Was, it wasn't the first game of the day. Was the second mm. game of the day. It was either the first or the second game of the day against RNG. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the game that everybody was thinking that Fnatic wasn't going to be able to win. And after the whole Cloud9 three-way tiebreaker for 2-4, and four, that's kind of what people were hoping was going to happen to Fnatic was, hey, look, we're probably going to lose against RNG, so we really got to take these next two games off of Hama Life and PSG Talon because they played both of those teams pretty closely. Hama Life in the early game, you know, they had a strong early game. They got really rolled, you know, in that mid and late game after Popo got that huge lead and had a very close game against PSG Talon. But uh, they managed to take down RNG. You know, what we saw in that game against RNG is basically what we saw from Fnatic towards the end of the LEC season. Like, just absolutely craziness. Team fighting everywhere. Uh, TPs just flying across the place. Uh, just forcing fights 24-7 pretty much. That game was fun. That, that, that was a really fun game to watch. And they beamed them, as Mander says in the live chat. Uh, so I thought Bwipo had a really good game in the game Fnatic versus RNG. I think that that was kind of like a 1v9 performance where he was absolutely popping off. Um, I will say that Adam, I didn't think, had a really good game. <laughs> that was the game where like he stayed under turret with like 1 HP and then ended up just dying right and after. And he played like, well in the late game. He was one shot. Yes, he did. He did come back. But I mean, he also fed his ass off earlier on. But But the thing is, you do need to give credit when you're that far behind and you're still able to have an impact. So it's like, it's hard to it's hard to gauge. It's like, well, you ran it down, but also you were still useful. So, I mean, there, there's some good and some bad. But whenever someone just hard runs it down like that, I can't say that it was a great game. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, you know, unfortunately, Fnatic was not able to complete the Miracle Run. Although I think they did. They were putting up good fights across the entire board. I think, you know, the first mm-hmm. two games, the, the one against RNG and the one against Hamel Life in the first round, Robin, you know, people were definitely like, wow, you know, Fnatic is looking really, you know, lost and the team is not playing like a team because I think that's what, you know, Fnatic's best quality is, is when they play like a team. They are a really good team. Um, but we did see that in the second round, Robin. They played Hama Life pretty close for the most part and they played PSG Town really close. That was a game where Adam, once again, was kind of inting, but also like making a lot happen. I think the one standout play where he was like hiding in that bush on Graves uh, at the top of the red buff and he just flashes onto Hanabi and like Q auto R's him and just like pops him. I was like where freak was all ranting about like crowd control and whatnot but uh <laughs> i was uh you know we saw some fight out of fanatic which is i think what most people wanted they did get that one win didn't get the 06 so you know obviously they were put in a rough situation from the get-go but at least you know it wasn't all doom and gloom 
Yeah, the and, and the, the, the one game that I want to highlight for Adam that he actually did look really, really good in the laney phase specifically was the game where he got his Olaf, one of his pocket picks. Um, that was a game where he was actually getting, well, he laned really, he had a really solid laning phase. I don't remember who he was laning against. Do you have that? Do you remember? It was against Hama Life. I just remember that he had a solid performance, and I was like, "Hey, he's not running it down in the laning phase, which we've kind of seen a lot." He he's had the um the uh what's the word? Uh, he's been known for roaming a lot during his laning phase, and so he falls behind a lot because of it. That that's kind of his thing. Is he's like the Doin B of top lane. He shoves his lane. He yeah. plays pretty aggro, and then roams and tries to like dive mid or something like that. Um, so uh, obviously you do see him fall behind a lot of times when you're roaming that often. But that game, not really. So, I mean, shout out to him for that. Um, what else? What else? Oh, Niski didn't exactly have the greatest uh, the tournament either. No, he was, he was not his old self there. And the thing is, Niski had a really good summer split, too. Like, I was really, I was, I was happy for Niski. I thought that this would be a good time for him to really shine and really prove that. Because there was a lot of criticism thrown his way and thrown the way of Fnatic when they got Niski to replace Nemesis. And I was like, this would be the perfect way to stamp it to show, like, yes, this guy's a good mid laner and that you deserve to be on this team. And not exactly the greatest team, sadly. Yeah. Um, the last player on Fnatic, I think, to really talk about is uh, Bean, uh, the substitute bot laner. I think, you know, coming into the tournament, like, I guess the day before where the announcement was made that Bean was going to play, everybody was just super worried that he was just going to get hard exposed by these great bot lanes of, like, Def mm -hmm. and Gala and Ming. And even the PSG Talon bot lane is, like, that their best bot lane in that region as well. And I think for the most part, like Bean held his own. Like he wasn't Definitely. playing super aggressive in lane. He wasn't necessarily getting a lot of leads, but he was surviving, staying relatively even in CS and had some pretty good performances, even in losses. I think, you know, I go back to the, the first round Robin, uh, the game he was on Ash where he was able to 2v2 kill. Was it RNG's bottom? I think it was RNG's bot lane um, in like a 3v2. And, uh, you know, he had a couple good games. Uh, this go around against RNG and also against Hamo Life, he looked pretty good. Um, and you know, for the most part, people have been talking about this guy that he should be he, like he's an LEC level ADC, and you know, he just won EU Masters or whatever. So um, I think it's probably likely that we might see him in the LEC next split. Um, but you know, I actually kind of hope for his sake that he maybe sticks around for one more year and then maybe he can get on a good team because I don't think he'll necessarily get on a top team in the LEC. But hopefully, he doesn't just go to some like bottom tier team and suck. Yeah, and it's so, like, this is such, like, a cold take, but I think it's pretty obvious that, like, he can't really do anything wrong. Like, he, you could do no wrong when you're put in that situation. There's literally no expectation out of Bean because, obviously, you're just subbed into a pro team that you haven't been a part of, and you have, what, 16 hours to prep? And he's never uh, he's never played in like the top level leagues. Like he's only your, like, yeah your your debut is at Worlds. Like yeah. shit. So and I it's mean, against what, like Gala Ming, Deft, Unified, <laughs> Kai Wing. Yeah. Like like yeah. Everyone thought he was going to get railed. True, and and, he, and to your point, he definitely held his own. So I mean, what what more can you ask out of him? You really can't ask for any more. Um, the one thing I will say is that I had a lot of hype for Hillisang coming into the tournament. Again, he didn't have his laning partner, so it's a little bit difficult to be all that critical. But his uh, his aggressive playstyle has always been his thing, and lately, like especially in the LEC, it was very, very to their advantage. Not so much in this tournament, kind of running it down a, a lot. But again, I, he kind of gets a free pass and benefit of the doubt as well because he doesn't have his lane partner. Yeah, so he it's was like racking up the deaths. The the whole thing just sucks. It 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 sucks especially for European fans because 
one of your teams obviously isn't going to be at their best. And I could go on for days. We talked about it a little bit in our last episode. It's just a shitty situation. There's not really much you can do about it. You try to do your best, and that's that's how it is. So cold take, but that's how it is. Yeah. Um, the other team to not get out of the group was uh, PSG Talon. Um, I think, you know, coming in, people didn't really know what to expect um, from PSG out of, out of the PCS because they had a really good showing at MSI. But, you know, after the whole BYG debacle and plans, you know, people were kind of, you know, they were asking the questions like, oh, well, is PSG Talon not as good as we thought they were because BYG looked so bad and BYG was able to beat them? Or was it just like, oh, BYG is like their own story because of the whole Moan stuff and, you know, PSG, you know, we're still going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I don't think PSG Talon was bad by any means. I think, you know, they just had, you know, some difficult teams in their group. I think should have should Fnatic have had their main roster, I think, you know, they could have lost to Fnatic. Um, you know, they lost two times to, to RNG. Um, wait, no. They, yeah, they did. They lost two times to RNG. And, uh, you know, they Once they went one and one. Yeah, they went one and one against Humble Life. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to have a lot of thoughts on, on this team and on this region when I don't know a lot about them in the first place. And I feel like we had a very limited, like, opinion and, like, knowledge of them yeah. coming in. So... Uh, you know the main the main things I can point out, and we kind of said this last episode. Hanabi was was like playing pretty well. I think he was their best player so far. He's a monster. Yeah, I, I don't think Unified and Kaiwing really lived up to the hype. You know, we did see Doggo and Unified at MSI twenty twenty one, and then you know people were like, "Well, Unified is actually the best AD in that league." So like when they come back at Worlds, like they're going to be even better. They weren't anything special. Um, I thought Maple was fairly average, and I thought River was also fairly average. So like for me, there's not a whole lot to say. So, yeah, the thing that I confirmed that, like, I, I can now confirm this is that they are a good team. Maybe not a great team. That's still, uh, that's up in the air. But definitely a team that can play with the best in the world, clearly. Um, so that's something that we thought after MSI. After seeing two tournaments of them competing with the best teams in the world, I can say, like, yes, they are a, like, a top uh, top team, whereas, like, they can compete with anyone. So that's something that's definitely confirmed. And like you were saying, Hanabi looks great. I do think that Unified doesn't look as good as Doggo, like you mentioned. But again, back to Hanabi, his Gwen is unreal, man. Like, he's actually insane being able to 1v2 in side lanes. Um, even through Exhaust, I think he won the 1v2 in the one... Uh, I think that was against RNG. I think it was RNG. I don't um, but anyways... He he was absolute standout for this team. I think when I look at the region altogether, I think the two best players are Hanabi and Doggo uh, as far as what we've seen in the last couple of international tournaments. Um, those are my standout guys for me. I, I think that this Doggo team... Doggo might be it, gone. It, yeah, I DSM mean, who Doggo. knows, right? That's the, that's the Honestly, meme. Honestly, that is... I mean, that, this happens every year when Worlds happens and there's a lot of standout players that aren't playing for other major regions yet. It's like, who's NA going to grab next? Well, if there's two that I could pick, it'd be Hanabi and Doggo. I think they both had really good tournaments. And uh, we had uh, RNG and Humble Life making it out. Humble Life, they went 3-0 in the second round, Robin. Unfortunately, dropped their tiebreaker game to RNG. That game made me so sad. Oh, my God. It was just like another situation where it felt like Humble Life wasn't willing to pull the trigger. They had this pretty massive lead in the early mid-game, just basically off the back of Chovy, just like absolutely destroying Crying in the mid lane. He was outlanding him so hard. He was up like 100 CS at 23 minutes. Uh, Morgan was doing fine on the J4 top. And then it, they basically just reached a point where they really weren't willing to fight. And the times that they were willing to fight... Morgan was just going in way too early or, or going in solo and constantly having to alt in and then EQ flash out of some form of that. 
Um, yeah, it just that game was just so sad to watch. Vista also had a pretty terrible game on Greg's support. Okay, so they don't get uh, out, or they don't get the first seed, but they do get out of the group. Your boys are out. They are. So you, sh you should be happy there. And honestly, as the tournament's gone on, Chovy's actually gotten better and yeah, better. Yeah, he, he looks because Because his plans were like, it was like, good, but it's like, this is Chovy. We should see a little bit more. We saw it. We definitely saw it. I, I don't know. Like, we talk all the time about his laning and how he doesn't miss CS, but he it doesn't, doesn't get... It doesn't get any less amazing, man. It is unreal the CS leads that this guy gets. And just this is on his own because it's the laning phase. It's such a buff having what is definitely the best laner in the world at this point yeah. on your team. He's 1v9ing because he's giving himself advantage without any help. It's, it's insane. I, I don't remember exactly which game it was. I think it was the tiebreaker match, but I remember somebody tweeting out saying, Chovy, the first time he missed a CS in that game was at 12 minutes. And I think it was the tiebreaker game. But like... Dude, like, not missing a single CS in 12 minutes, also playing Twisted Fate, who gets bonus gold from killing CS. Like, TF just naturally gets a gold advantage. And then when you're not missing CS and still able to make, you know, early roams happen, is just so insane. And then unfortunately, in that game, like, everyone kind of memed Chovy towards the end of it because he ended up just split-pushing the whole time. But at the same time, like, Humble Life just really didn't have any willingness to go in and fight. So I don't really blame Chovy for being off in the side lane, like, as kind of RNG was, like, ending the game, Chovy was, like, splitting top, catching a wave, and killing a tower. So everyone was like, XD, Chovy playing for CS or something like that. But they got out. I'm really happy about that. They looked much improved um, from the playing stage and from the first round Robin in the second half of round Robin. Um, I think Willer played a lot better in the second half of the round Robin. Just played more consistent. Like, he just didn't end an early game or just wasn't, you know, making poor decisions in the early game in the second half. Um Morgan still I have a lot of questions about. I think he did play very well towards the end of the LCK season and was very good on, you know, Camille and Kennen. But we really haven't seen those same performances from him. He does feel like the weak point of Hama Life. And um Well, so here's the thing though, that's the narrative, right? That's what every all the analysts, like the the analyst desk analysts I'm talking about, they all say that Morgan is supposed to be the weakness of this team, but for me, it's been Vista. I, I have not been impressed with him whatsoever. And like, I thought that he was going to be solid, but he just hasn't been. And I think that Deft, his laning partner has been great, but Vista has been running it down, honestly, <laughs> especially that one Leona game. I don't remember who that was against, but his Leona game, he's dying over and over and over <laughs> again. I'm like, what is going on, man? Yeah, was I was in, really not that impressed. Was in the, that was in the Fnatic game. He had eight deaths. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That that was a head scratcher. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I I thought that he would be solid, and he just wasn't. Yeah, he he does feel a lot better on the you know enchanter peel supports like your 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 Lulus, your Namis, your Rakans, your Threshes, as opposed to like Leona, Brom, Alstar type stuff. Um, and I think you know the meta is sort of trending more towards like the Rakan, the Lulu, and the Nami as opposed to the Leona and the uh, God the Amumu. Thank God we're not seeing that pick. I was so right about that pick. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat yeah. myself and say that pick was dog Bring shit, and that we weren't gonna see this champ at all in in group stage. I think how many there was like one Amumu game, and I think life. I want to see it. <laughs> I think life played want... one Amumu game. That was about it. God, that champ sucks. I want to see more of it, my boy nope, Amumu. Nope, nope. Bring him back. Only yeah, okay, pick so... it into Rakan. The, the last thing that I want to say about Vista and the Leona game specifically is like when, when we're watching the game, so usually it's like three of us, me, J, and T, and our friend Manders, who's usually in the live chat. And like, there's kind of this like patented, whoa, man. <laughs> and, 
And Le- that Leona from Vista was, every time he's going in, it made no sense. Where, like, there's no one in their right mind that can follow up on any of these engages. He is totally out, like, yeah, he's out to lunch. And I think <laughs> Vista gets the, we don't have an award for it, but he gets the whoa award. Because yeah. his engages were just, uh, they were out there, man. So, yeah. Yeah, that's my last thing on Vista. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I'm still I'm comfortable with uh, Vista and Deft right now, but I definitely want to see Vista on. I definitely want their bot lane playing the more Ash Lulu, Aphelios Lulu, Lucian Nami, Rakan Ezreal. Like, I, I don't want to see them playing like MF Leona. Like, if they're gonna play MF, like pick it with Rakan, pick it with Thresh or something. Like, no, no more engagers from Vista. Okay. Uh, last thing, I do, we need to talk a little bit more about RNG because the day, the last day, didn't look so good. But I actually thought their game against Fnatic, even though they lost, I still thought they looked really good in that game. When things were going their way, it was amazing to me how decisive this team was. It, it was like sometimes there are plays that just look obvious, and like you, without comms, you would expect people to follow up on stuff. This was a game where it didn't look obvious what the right play was, but the team was always on the same page. And so I, that was this was a rare uh, instance where I was like, this loss looked really good. I thought that they still looked good in that game. I just thought Whippo looked amazing as well and kind of 1v9 that game. And so I was like, yeah, they'll be fine. But then they didn't look that great the rest of the day. And yeah. honestly, they, they still had to go with a tiebreaker. Whereas like I thought, I thought coming into the day that they were just going to be number one no matter what, but it didn't exactly work that way. Yeah, I mean, even their tiebreaker wasn't very impressive. I think for the most part, like they didn't have a good second run Robin at all. I mean, I do think, you know, their game against Fnatic was pretty solid. You know, we did see Fnatic sort of throw caution to the wind in that game and, and go for their normal aggressive play style. And, you know, it kind of just felt like, you know, the game turned at a certain point where, you know, RNG was, like, slowly, like, they were controlling the game. Everything was going, like, according to plan. And the FNAG was like, well, let's just start, like, going in. And then they just started going in. They had these random TP flanks from Adam, which were, like, pretty creative. Uh, the main one in that game was, like, where he TP'd from, like, the Dragon Pit to a ward behind them to then full combo uh, Gala uh, when he was playing uh, Aphelios and Adam was playing the Jace. Um, but for the most part, like, RNG did not look very good in the second round Robin, I think... A lot of these LPL teams, like, they got, like, week two debuff. So uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see how it's going to look going into, into quarterfinals. But, you know, RNG was, like, they weren't that impressive. They were looking, like, kind of untouchable, similar to Damwon in that first round, Robin. And they did not continue those performances. They had some unlucky stuff go, go the wrong way as well. Like, the game against Hanwha Life where Zhao just gets, like, kind of cheese top and then they just camp the hell out of top lane i I look at that and i'm like i don't think that that's something that's going to happen again and maybe that's too much of a free pass i'll I'll let the listeners decide if that's too much of a free pass (laughs) but i'm still confident that this team is going to be good um so i think they're good i just don't think they're like world beaters like damwon is gonna be Maybe. I'm not too worried, but I will say that I'm definitely, I I was not worried at all after week (laughs) one, whereas I'm like "Eh, a little bit worried now, but I I still think this team's really good, and I don't think you want to face them in quarters or in semi, or in any best of five, to be honest. I think they're still really, really solid. Gala was kind of a beast in that game against Fnatic as well. Uh, His Ophelios was kind of a monster. Of course, they didn't come out on top, but uh, yeah, Gala's good, so uh, I mean, so was me as well, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that it for Group C? I believe so. Okay. 
I want to get into a topic that kind of happened on Twitter today. Uh, Nessif, shout out to you, who I think is still in the live chat. Um, for context, I'll just read out the tweet, and I'm going to read out his reply. Uh, so I said, okay, it sucks TL doesn't get out, but this tournament had every single NA team show up and play well. Can't ask for more than that. And Nessif replied, yes, but also no. The amount of investment in these NA teams should should and must result in advancing. Fair to feel decent after today, but at the end of the day, you don't get a medal for participation. And quite frankly, the idea of being less disappointed than usual is not it. GG. So I, I like this reply because I kind of half agree. Um, the point specifically that I agree with is when you invest this much into NA teams, you kind of want to see them get out of groups, right? And that's kind of hard to argue with. I actually agree with that point. Um, however, the part that, like, for me, why I'm not disappointed at all is because, well, I, I mean, North America hasn't made it out of groups the last two years. And so, and we also have teams that show up, like, I, again, I'll mention the 06 of last year. Like, that to me is, like, that's not what I want to see. I want to see teams show up and look competitive because you, do, you can't decide who's going to get in your group. Like, for example, if Cloud9 didn't get out of the group, I wouldn't have been disappointed at all. You have FPX and Damwon. So, like, yeah, you're spending a lot on perks, but, like, you have Doin B, one of the best players in the world, and Showmaker, the best player. Like, like, I don't expect perks to outperform those two mid laners. So, I don't think it's as simple as you've spent this much, so you should advance. But I do agree with the sentiment that, like, if you're going to spend, you'd like to see results. JNT, I want your thoughts on what do you think about all this? Well, I think on the, the spending in terms of how much money is being put into these North American rosters, I think you also got to like look at it like relative to the other regions. Like, obviously, North America is spending much more money on these players because, one, yeah. you, need to, you need to pay them more to be able to bring them here. And I think that's totally fair. But sure, you know, the LPL and the LCK and the LEC teams aren't spending as much money as the North American teams, but relative to the rest of the teams and the whole like salary that is available for those teams to spend on is probably fairly comparable to what Cloud9 and TSM and 100 Thieves and TL are doing. Like, it's not like they're signing all these. Maybe. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think it was cheap for FPX to sign Nuggery. Like, I'll say that right there. Like, that guy True. probably was hella expensive. And, and, you know, I don't exactly know what the whole contract situation was is with a lot of these, you know, FPX players. But, like, if they, after they won Worlds, if they re-upped Doinby, they re-upped TN, they re-upped LWX and Crisp, like, that probably wasn't cheap either. Like, you look at, yeah. you look at Damwon, like, you're, you're getting con. Like, sure, maybe he was cheaper than he once was, but, like, if they're continuing to re-up guys like Showmaker, Canyon, Barrel, pl players who have performed really, really well on the international stage, like, sure, like, like I said, they're probably not spending exactly the same dollar value that the NA teams are, but relative to their region and the other teams, they're probably spending a comparable amount. No, it's a really good point because as soon as you have that world championship under your belt, I'm sure you can ask for more money. However, the contracts aren't they're not made public, which always kind of stinks. But if they were made public, I think we could go a lot deeper into this conversation of what you should expect when you spend as much as Cloud9 or TL or whoever did. Um, but I, yeah, again, for me, it always comes back to what should I expect out of North America? Because I do believe playing in North America is hard mode. We talk all the time about the ping and how the solo queue's worse and how getting better, it's like you have to play catch up when Worlds comes around. So I, I don't want to discount that either. I think that that's something that you need to throw in. And when I have all three North American teams show up and be competitive and have you're in every group was tough for them. Literally every single group was tough. And, and so you pick up at least three wins for all of them. Uh, Cloud9 with the tiebreaker, of course. I am more than happy with that. But what, what this comment from Nessiv reminded me of is that not everyone is an NA fan. That's the thing, right? NA fans altogether, I think, 
are are definitely happy. But if you're a Team Liquid fan and you're only a Team Liquid fan, well, maybe the tournament's kind of done for you, and you're like, well, shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So it started making me think, like, I am too much in my own head as NA fan. This is fucking awesome. Whereas, like, some guys are like, well, damn, my team's out now, and I don't give a shit about Cloud9. So I, I uh, it made me think in a more empathetic way, perhaps. Yeah, and I mean, it's like balancing expectation versus reality. Like, nobody yeah. expected Cloud9 or 100 Thieves to make it out of their group to begin with. I think people recognize that, hey, if one team is going to get out, Team Liquid is going to have that chance because the majority of those teams in that group, you could argue, are relatively even. And we kind of saw exactly like exactly that, where all the teams went 3-3. Three and three. TL, unfortunately, loses that tiebreaker. And you know, 100 Thieves, they took they got the 2-0 over Detonation Focus Me, and they took one game off of EDG and, or T1, but it just didn't end up mattering. And, you know, I think if you're a C9 fan or even an NA fan who's rooting for Cloud9, like, you got to be over the moon with the result you know, with regards to that, like nobody was expecting you to come in and beat Damwon or FPX. People were saying, hey, let's take one game off of Rogue and we'll be the little 1-5 teams that are sitting at the bottom of the group while the other two are like 6-0 and 4-2. And, and, you know, to make it out of that group, and I think the other point that people argue, like, well, FPX shit the bed anyway. So if 100 Thieves was in that group or if TL was in that group, like they probably would have made it out too. And like, hey, I, yeah. I, can't, I can't argue at that point, but, you know, you, you got to remember like your, your relative expectations coming into the tournament. Like, I don't think anybody wanted to get any North American team wanted to get put in that group. And True. You know, sure, you can argue it's a bit of luck that FPX really, you know, shit the bed. And that's part of the reason why C9 got, you know, they got out. But like to have one team get out and the other two go three and three, I think is well above everyone's expectations for this year. Yeah, that that's the way I look at it, honestly. Um, and again, sometimes three and three is just kind of like unlucky. Like you literally won as many games as you lost. So that, that can't mean that you performed badly or, or poorly even. Um, but yeah, I guess like I was saying before, when you don't have teams make it out and the tournament ends so quickly, uh, I could definitely see where people come are coming from, from just not being happy with the results. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> also like when, when we talk about the sort of three and three curse, a lot of it is relative to where you are positioned in the group. Very often when Cloud9 is making it out of groups, going 3-3, three and three, or in this case 3-4, and four, like the times to point out were uh, in 2016 when they made it out going 3-3, three and three, when they had SKT, um, Flashwolves, and IMA in their group, they went 3-3, three and three, made it out. When they had in 2017, AHQ, EDG, SKT, they went 3-3, three and three, made it out. Um, the main thing you got to talk about with that is C9 was the third seed and therefore the lowest seeded team in their group. And, you know, we talk about all the instances with all the other NA teams when they went 3-3, three and three, didn't make it out of their group. And, like, TSM went 3-3 three and three in 2017. They went 3-3 three and three in 2016. TL's gone 3-3 three and three a bunch of times. But, you know, they were the, either the Pool 1-2 or Pool 2 team going into that group. So you're expected to beat all those teams below you. And, you know, a lot of the failures of North America in the past have been because they've lost a game against a poor team. You look back at TL in 2020. When they were with G2 and Suning, went 3-3. Three and three. They lost the game to Machi, or else they would have had a three-way tiebreaker for first place. Um, TSM in 2017 when they went three and three, they lost to the winless Flash Wolves for their last game in that group, which would have made them out, which would have made them get out. But when you talk about Cloud Nine, is like they always win the games they're supposed to win, and occasionally mm -hmm. will win the game that they're supposed to lose. Like for example, getting those wins against FPX, um, and in the past, you know, taking wins off of top teams as well. We're we're always seeing that out of Cloud Nine. It's like they always win the games they're supposed to win, and have that chance of winning that one extra game against a top team that will push them over the edge. It's weird too because the players on Cloud9 change, but the story remains the same. It's like yeah. Cloud9 gets out. Um, just the last point that Nessif makes in the live chat, he says, like, yeah, C9 made it out, historical, but 
TL again, 3-3 and 100. He kind of got that EDG win after the fact. He says, I don't know. I'm a bit burned out on NA after so many years. And what that makes me think of is like, yes, honestly, it is difficult to be a North American fan. And I that's something I can definitely get behind because we come into this tournament not expecting to win. Whereas like if you're a Korean fan or an LPL fan, maybe an EU fan, but not so much, you could have the expectation that you're going to pick up a win of like your region's going to win worlds eventually. And I, I don't know if that's the same for North America. And so that's somewhere, that's an area where it's like, I actually get the frustration and maybe, maybe that's not good enough, right? I can see both sides of the coin for me personally, though, absolutely. North American fans should be happy. Um, but anyways, I liked, I, I appreciate the, uh, the comments, not just in live chat, Nessif, but on Twitter as well, because it started making me think a lot. Um, and I think you, you bring up some good points. So thank you for that. Anything more, JT, on it? Um, no, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big C9 fan, so I'm obviously happy that we're out. I think we... You're you know, rocking the C9 jersey, but yeah. we can't see it on the camera. I'm, I'm rocking the C9 jersey until go. they get out. Until they get out, I'm, I'm rocking it. That's I, all you're we, wearing? You're not going to change your shirt? No, if I had like a TL or a 100 Thieves one, I would have worn one, but I don't, I don't got that. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think so. the, like, the other major story to talk about in groups, obviously, is, you know, the LPL week one versus LPL week two. I think, you know, the classic meme is NA week two, where they always perform well in week one and then shit the bed in week two. I also the opposite out of NA, where they actually all played very well week two. You know, C9 went what, three and C9 went three and one. TL went three and two and 100 thieves went uh two and one so you know for the most part and i always loses week two and uh lpl is always really op but this week you know it was kind of like lpl week two curse where they all played really really well in, in the first half i think everyone was expecting every single lpl team to get out of the group based yeah. off of kind of what happened and only two out of the four teams made it with the pre-tournament favorites fpx not making it out it was shaky, man. Even Lyric, the uh, I guess he's a caster. I guess he's like color commentary for the LPL. You could tell he was not like, he did not feel confident in the LPL performances that he was getting throughout the, the second part of, of group stage. Yeah, they, they honestly, they looked really shaky. And I think this is the first time we've ever seen this kind of thing out of the LPL or maybe any major region for that matter. Is that right? Yeah, they went four and 11 in week two. Damn. And even and even worse, they went 3 against NA, 5 against EU. They, Whoa. Picked, they they were two and three against Korea. That was the one R that was the one RNG Hama Life game and the uh the what's the what did that I'm I'm missing it. The what are we talking about? Group D. LNG beat uh Genji. Genji. Yeah. yeah, and then they went 1-0 against the PCS and 1-0 against uh, the LJL or uh, the Japanese League, which was EDG over DFM. But 0-5 against EU and 0-3 against NA has really got to feel bad for, for the Chinese teams. I know, like, yes. it's always funny because after each day, you know, there would always be some Reddit thread about the, like, Chinese, like, uh, website, like, reactions of all the games that were going on. And basically, like, all the just, just the community hard flaming the teams and players because they're playing badly. And I think rightfully so because a lot of the Chinese teams were playing really bad, like, FPX didn't look good. RNG didn't look good. LNG didn't look very good either. Uh, I think Icon, like we kind of mentioned, he was like struggling quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and EDG, you know, like they lost 100 Thieves, and that's got to feel pretty shit for them. Yeah, no, definitely. Because they were supposed to win that group after the first half, right? They looked like the favorite, but and that kind of ended up costing or them. Or at the least, they should have, you know, 
had a tiebreaker against T1 for the first seed. Right, right, yeah. No, I, yeah, I don't have anything more to add. That I, that's something that you're not supposed to expect yeah. out of the top tier major regions, out of either whether it be the LCK or LPL. That's not what you should expect, but it happens. Uh, pop off bean soup, right? Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll let you start. Go well, no, on. I'm actually no. You're going. You're going to go first because okay. my pop off and my okay. bean soup are like kind of similar. You'll you'll get it, okay. but I'm going to do mine back to back. Just but you go first. Pop off. Syndra, man. Jensen and BDD. I couldn't leave either one out. They were both beasts. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we talked about it earlier. I can't believe how good this pick is. I said before the tournament started that I fully expected this was going to be meta and that it was going to face roll people. And what do you know? I'm patting myself on the back for this one. Syndra, that champion's nuts. And they gave really, really good buffs to that champion to her weakness. Her weakness was her laning phase where she would go oom. And they're like, here, how about your Q costs a bunch less mana? And it's like, okay, well, I guess Syndra's back in meta. And uh, BDD, I've talked about his Syndra a million times. He was insane. He's always been insane on that pick. And then Jensen, I would say, hasn't always been insane on that pick. Maybe he's been good. But this tournament was nuts. So pop off to those two guys. So I gave my pop off to the LCK mid laners. Because mm. I just read a tweet after, you know, Baker, all these Chovey, groups. Yeah. Showmaker, and... BDD. BDD. The, the yeah. LCK mid laners at Worlds right now are Faker, Chovy, Showmaker, and BDD. And I don't think you could ask for like four Damn. better mid laners currently right now. Um, True. I think, yeah, I mean, actually, I don't think you could name me a better mid laner than those four at the moment. It was supposed to be Doin B, but yeah, nah. well, not anymore. Maybe Scout. Maybe. Yeah. Scout's good, but not this tournament, though. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong, Scout's great. But, like, yeah. again, nah, not, not, not what we've seen in group stage. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, Chovy, you know, he, he didn't have an amazing playing stage in, or week one of the first round robin. But we saw, you know, it was Chovy Life Esports in, in week two. Um, Showmaker was obviously insane. Faker's obviously great. BDD was 1v9ing almost every single game in the group stage. So, what about perks? Well, I, said LC, I said LCK mid laners. <laughs> I was being sarcastic. You were talking about mid laners that could be better. I was being sarcastic. Sorry. Oh, well. What's your bean soup? Uh, the LEC mid laners. Because I thought for the... <laughs> I, I like it. I thought for pretty much all of group stage, all the LEC mid laners were pretty bad relative to their expectations coming in. I think... True. I'm not, I'm not going to fault Niski as much as the others because, you know, Fnatic was obviously in a tough situation and their team dynamic, you know, kind of got flipped on its head. But, you know, we did see Niski, you know, really overextending, going for a lot of plays. He shouldn't be dying a ton in a, in a lot of these games. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to point this out because of, like, the whole Legends in Action episode with Niski when he kind of broke down after they lost to PSG. But his Trendemir game was really bad. Like, he, like, single-handedly lost in that game. Um, and then, you know, we talked about Humanoid a little bit. He was a player who I think a lot of people came in, you know, giving him a ton of hype. Like, I remember, you know, they haven't done an official, like, world's top 20 list this year like they usually do with, like, Jat. You kind of run that thing. But from a lot of the community, um, Humanoid was, like, a top 10 player on a lot of these top 20 lists. And one, I thought that was very surprising because, well, I think he was very, very good for the Mad Lions and the LEC. He wasn't, like, this insane individual player. He was more like he's, like, he, he just works so well with the team. And I think individually, yeah. he was like very, very lackluster and wasn't playing well at all for the most part in the group stage. The main game for him that stood out for me was his Oriana game, uh, his one Oriana and his one LeBlanc game, where I thought like his two best games, but like that's out of a grand total of eight games. And I think in those other six, he, he was pretty weak. And then Larson, 
we, we were talking about it when we were watching those games on the day. He's the most AFK mid laner we've ever seen. Like mid lane right now, like is a lot about you know pushing your waves and roaming. Whether you're on, whether you're on a TF, whether you're on a rise, whether you're on a Silas, like you got to get priority in your lane to be able to make things happen and influence the map. And this guy is pulling a power of evil on the world stage. He's just farming, dude. Yeah, true. And it's funny because when we were watching the games with our friend, he was like, man, like, because he doesn't watch LEC that often. He's like, what is going on with Larson? And I'm like, I promise you he's better than this. I can't tell you, man. He, he is AFK, but I can't tell you why. But I promise you Larson is actually a really good mid laner. But we, yeah, I guess we just didn't see it. So yeah. I, I like your, your pop off and bean soup this week, JNT. I, I really well thought out. I like the it. tandem thing. Good stuff. Yeah, it's nice how they relate. That's very poetic. Okay, what's your um, then? Uh, I had to go with Ale's Kennen because he had such a good tournament overall. But today in the tiebreaker against Mad, I think they just win that game straight up if he ain't so goddamn thirsty. And, well, I think that's what held him from, get, from moving on. Now, look, I realize it's really picky after he had such a good tournament, but I think that's why it was so disappointing to me. Not because he was bad, bad, bad. It's because he was so good, and then I thought that his was in the very last game just to get them over that finish line he just funny ulties just getting nothing out of them and that to me was the reason why mad had a window back into the game yeah it was just kind of like he dropped the ball when it mattered most and that was all um yeah already um quick little uh detour um last night uh Bwipo ended up posting uh, on his twitter you know he gave sort of a full description of you know, what was going on during Worlds uh, and kind of just letting the fans know what was going on. And, you know, I'm not going to read out the whole thing because the twit longer um, is quite long, but I'll kind of just give the quick summary of what he was doing or, or what he said exactly. Um, I'm just going to scroll through it on my phone just to remind myself. But he basically was talking about how, you know, him, he's been very vocal that, you know, his girlfriend has helped him out quite a lot with his career in terms of, you know, providing emotional support and whatnot. And he basically, you know, just said on Twitter straight up, like, I was, you know, I hurt her in a pretty bad way, you know, before Worlds. And, you know, he was struggling a lot in his personal life. You know, this news of upset, you know, having to leave the team for a family emergency, you know, really, you know, kind of, it was the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of what was going on in his life because he was already struggling with his personal life. And, you know, the, you know, he basically mentioned how he's putting his heart and soul into this fanatic team. And to hear that, you know, his teammate is leaving 20, with less than 24 hours notice before he was about to play really just kind of pushed him over the edge. And, you know, it's we've talked about this multiple times since we heard about the upset news. Like, this is just a, a shitty situation all around. You know, right. a lot of people had high hopes for Fnatic coming into this tournament, especially after getting a, I think, a fair, I wouldn't say an easy group per se, but a group that Fnatic could definitely get out of should they be at 100% strength like they were, you know, against Vitality, uh, G2, and Misfits were the three teams they played in the regional gauntlet or the lower bracket or whatever. And, you know, you could also see during the games, like, he was visibly, like, kind of sad and maybe a bit tilted. And if you watch the, the Legends in Action episode, which is basically, like, the TSM Legends for Fnatic, um, you know, it, it was pretty clear that he was pretty out of it. And uh, it was just kind of like a whole... It just, you know, I just feel bad for both him and Upset and Niski and all those guys on Fnatic who, who put so much hard work into this split and to make it to Worlds, you know, Upset's first Worlds, Whippo roll swapping, making it Niski, getting kicked from C9 for perks and then making it, and then just for kind of everything to go down the way it did, just sucks. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts with Whippo and the stuff that's coming out. The My initial thoughts are kind of, I'm going to kind of echo a little bit of what you said here is that like, I think 
that Bwipo actually had a really good tournament. And I feel like he was robbed of what I would say is like maybe one of the bigger stories of his career. You know, you have the role swap. You're probably not supposed to be a very good jungler, but he was great all year long. And then you have a really good performance at Worlds, but it doesn't necessarily matter because your teammates aren't playing that well. And again, that could just be in part because you're not playing with your actual roster. Like, I just, I think the situation is so bad that I feel bad for him. I do feel like he had, he was kind of robbed just to have that chance, like what a redemption arc that is to roll swap and just absolutely pop off at Worlds. And potentially, who knows how far he could have carried them if they have the full roster together. Maybe they don't go anywhere, but maybe they do, right? So that's where I feel really bad. I, I feel like he's robbed. As far as like the drama that's going on, I th still think there's so much unknown. It's hard to have a real opinion on what's going on. It, it's He says that like he, he really felt bad because he hurt his girlfriend, but like we don't know what that is. Again, we still don't know how much of his anger is related to the upset stuff. I imagine it probably is because you lose your starting AD carry 16 hours before the tournament starts. Um, with all that said, I don't think there's ever any excuse for not giving your team your full attention. Now, I haven't watched the... What, what's it called, the Fnatic show again? Legends in Action. Legends in Action. I haven't watched all of that yet. I'm only, like, halfway through because, again, we just went live, like, pretty much right after the games ended today. But from what I had heard from a, a couple of sources now, I've heard that he was, like, kind of on his phone as, like, they're having a meeting. Does that sound accurate, JNT? There was one point in the video where, again, I watched this yesterday or two days ago, so I don't exactly remember if it was either pre-game or post-game. I'm not exactly sure, so, but he was like on his phone while Yamato was like giving a fairly important speech, it seems. Yeah, and I think see, here's the thing because it's impossible for me to know exactly how he's feeling. I've never been in the situation that he's in right now, so I don't want to sound like too insensitive. However, I, I try to put myself in his shoes, and what I would think is that no matter what is happening to me, if I'm there, I need to give all of my attention to my team. I can't be on my phone when the coach is talking or anything like that. I think that that's just, not, uh, that's just a disservice to your team. Again, I don't know what the situation is like, so maybe that's just not a fair assessment. But I think no matter what is going on in your life, if you're going to be there, like, for example, Upset had to leave for whatever it is, totally fine. If that's that's how it is, then that's how it is. But if you're going to be there, you need to be there. You can't be on your phone and not giving full attention to your team when you're trying to have some sort of huge comeback or whatever it is. That, and that's where I'm a little bit disappointed. Um, but again, I I feel like that's a... I have a very weak opinion of it because I don't know all the specifics. So I don't want to, uh, to speculate too much. So it's really difficult to, for me to have a strong opinion on the matter. Yeah. I mean, for the most, like, I'm obviously going to give Whippo the benefit of the doubt in terms of, you know, like you, you gotta, uh, you gotta, there's gotta be some sort of understanding with what's going on in his personal life. And, you know, he's obviously not like purposefully, you know, playing bad or anything like that, or he's not like, of course it's not, not like he's not course. trying or anything like that. But one thing that I think that was sort of of note in, the legends in action thing that they said from the fanatic side and also that he said in a twit longer was in in the fanatic doc they were talking about how you know upset had been speaking with yamato cannon for quite some time about these personal and family struggles and that it was just at, it, it had reached a point where he had to leave and that was unfortunately the day before they were supposed to play and from what yeah. whippo has said it kind of seems like the most or pretty much all of the members on fanatic like the actual the, the team the five guys playing on stage, it wasn't revealed to them and basically as it happened and as Upset was leaving. So I think, you know, that was part of one of the reasons why he did that sort of mass unfollowing on, on social media of all the Fnatic stuff because he was probably, you know, at, at the time was a bit pissed um, about the whole situation. But at the same time, like I said at the beginning, 
from reading his twit longer, it basically seems like it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like he was struggling with, with his personal life and his relationship. And, you know, he then like, you know, has you know the heart and soul of his team basically like ripped out 16 hours before they're supposed to play. And because right now, from my point of view, upset was the best player on Fnatic. And he was the reason why this thing was going so well. Him and Hillisang worked so well together. I think you know, actually it was more, it was an equal, you know, an equal give and take with upset and Hillisang and why they worked so well together. And then, you know, basically all of it coming together was Niski playing so well in the lower bracket of their, of the playoffs. And to have that guy just ripped out of the team within 16 hours of you actually having to go on stage and play, would obviously suck. And it does feel, it, Probably would feel really shitty just to like everything that you've worked on for the last what six months to just be over right then and there. Um, but you know they they tried to pick up the pieces. Like I said before, when we were talking about Group B, it wasn't all doom and gloom for Fnatic because while they did struggle in the first round, Robin, they did beat RNG in that first game and did put up really good fights against both Humble Life and PSG Talon. Yeah, and another shout out that I need to give with the Fnatic stuff specifically is that I did get like I mentioned, I did get halfway through that. Uh, what is it again? Action legend? I don't, I don't remember. Action legends, legends, whatever it is. Um, I heard Yamato speaking about upset, and time and time again, I am so impressed with Yamato's opinion of his players and how he's always backing up his players like a coach should do, and how he's always understanding of whatever the unique situations are of his of his players. And I think that that was something that he definitely let known, like that he's definitely full in full support of his players. And I know that's what coaches should do, but I. Time and time again, Yamato is good with that. And so I, I think he deserves a really good shout-out. I think he's a great coach, and I think that he's got the right outlook and the right idea of how to empathize and understand where your players are coming from. And I don't know if you get that with every coach, but I know you should, and he definitely does that. So huge shout-out to Yamato. Yeah, he, Love that guy. he coaches with a lot of emotion, and he seems, yes. to have, he seems to have a really good like head on his shoulders in terms of like recognizing, like understanding, you know, empathy and you know, emotional stress and how that can affect somebody. Um, and, you know, you kind of saw that towards the end of that Legend in Actions episode, or it was like just after their PSG Talon game had ended, Niski had sort of recognized that he was playing really terribly, and he was probably the reason why they lost that game. You know, he, he broke down basically right then and there, like in the, in the back room where they were doing their meeting or whatever, and, you know, Niski was super emotional, and Yamato was just like right there, to, you know, to try to comfort him and pick him up. And it's, Watching this doc like throughout the throughout this year of 2021 has definitely like definitely raised my opinion of Yamato and you know his coaching style and I think it's really great. I, it feels like any team would be lucky to have him based off of what we've seen. Yeah, 100% agree. Definitely agree. Well, <sighs> the group stage next. is over. We are gonna go to the knockout stage. Those matches start next week on Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, 8 a.m. EST, five. I said 8 a.m., right? 8 a.m., 5 a.m. PST. Yep. It's a banger. I'll, I'll I have the... an update for you, J&T. Oh, the, they... the games are, are up now. Yeah. Oh, the They were not out? up before. Yeah, so on Friday, October 22nd, again, 8 a.m. EST like J and 5 a.m. PST, like J&T was just saying, T1 and Hanwha Life play each other that day. Uh, mm, so the games go Friday, Saturday, one. Sunday, Monday. Yeah, so, yep. And then Saturday is RNG EDG. Sunday is Damn One versus Mad Lions, and Monday, the last day, is Gen G versus Cloud Nine. Oh boy, I am fired up! I am fired up. So here's the thing: I love Gen G, but I I love North America more. What can I say? And I think this is probably the best draw we could have gotten. Question mark? Maybe. I think it is personally. I think for me, after the second round, Robin, I'm definitely more scared of Damn One and T One 
than I am of Gen G and RNG. I think Cloud9 have sort of lucked out in a sense that you know EDG is also not a one seed. I think you know both uh, T1 and EDG are probably worthy of being number one seeds, and I think rightfully so. C9, Hama Life, and Mad Lions are all two seeds, and I think unfortunately for the LPL, like one of the the regions going to get eaten up here with there only being two LPL teams left, and they both drawn into each other. Um, and you know that kind of works in C9's benefit uh, because I think while EDG did struggle in the second half, I think they looked the most hopeful in terms of you know moving forward. I think there were more concerns about you know LNG, FPX, and RNG than there was of EDG. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Look, I don't think Cloud9 is going to beat Gen.G, Honestly, I think they might get clapped. Don't get me wrong. I'm really happy with how Cloud9 did. Oh, I hope so, man. I really do. That that would be sweet. But I'm I'm not counting on it necessarily. And even if they do, then I'm really worried about them playing against RNG or EDG as well. So, I mean, look, it's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be easy for for North America specifically. So, no matter what you get, it's going to be rough. But again, I do think this is our best chances. Um, how do we want to do this, JNT? Do we want to do predictions for the series, or how do we want to go about this? Well, I mean, I guess. I don't know. Do we want to just pick the whole thing right now and just say who we like? We get, well, we'll pick game scores obviously for this quarterfinal, but we can save you know who we think is going to go semifinals and finals, or we could also just predict that now just to brag if we're right about it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I don't know because we're going to have enough time to. Well, we're going to have to make our pickums anyway. Though, I can't. Yeah, well, just, I just could do, game let's scores do the pickums. Let's do okay, sure, and then let's just do pickums for the rest, but we yeah. won't do the okay. okay. So let's start at the top with RNG versus EDG. Uh, I got RNG because I have them going all the way. They were my crystal ball pick, and I think it's a tough test in the quarterfinals because EDG is fucking good. But I'm going RNG. I'm sticking with. Uh, yeah, I think that their stumbles make me worry a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But EDG stumbled a little bit too, so, you know, it's all right. And I just, I don't know, I think they're solid. I am going to go RNG. I'm going to go, I don't know, 3 twos, no fun to say. 3 ones, <laughs> no fun to say either. Ah, uh, I'll, I'll go 3-2 RNG. Okay, Um, I think I'm also going to roll with RNG here. I think mainly because I feel like their strengths for both of these teams like match up pretty well. Um, The strength of EDG is their bot lane and their mid lane. Um, And I think, you know, RNG's bot lane is equally just as good. And I think RNG's mid laner crying is good enough should you get him on the right pick. I think we really saw how well he played at MSI when he was on these, you know, champions like Rise and Twisted Fate. And, you know, that meta is still kind of around where Rise, Twisted Fate, LeBlanc, and Silas seem to be like the four highest priority mid laners. And I think unless Kryon gets like absolutely abused in draft or with early ganks, I think RNG, you know, I don't think EDG is going to have some clear cut way to be able to blow open the game. And I think I'm definitely favoring Xiaohu in the top side of the map against Vlandre. I think Xiaohu can basically play anything. Like, I think that guy can literally play anything in the top lane and probably win. And, you know, I think obviously JJ versus Wei is going to be really interesting because both of these guys yeah. are like pretty aggressive junglers. At least that's what they were in the LPL. And, uh, you know, it could just be like a, more of a battle, like who gets more done in the early game or who gets their solo laners ahead. Because I think if you get yeah, Xiaohu think... ahead, RNG all the way. But if you get Scout ahead, EDG all the way. Yeah, we are definitely Zhao who stands, you and I. Yep. I mean, that guy is a beast. And I think this should probably be the most fun series. I mean, you think LPL versus LPL, two pretty aggro teams. I should expect this one to be the more fun one. Um, okay, so what, what did you say the score was again? Well, I didn't say it, but I'm going to go with 3-1 RNG. 
Okay. All right. So I got the three two. You got the three one. We both got RNG moving on. Genji Cloud Nine, JNT two fifty. You're gonna take your Cloud Nine boys, I, I predict. Of course, Genji looked terrible. They didn't look terrible, but mm -hmm. of course I'm taking Cloud. Oh, you want me to give me the game score as well? Yeah, if you got, if you, if it's on your mind, yeah. I'm not chat enough to take three zero, so I'll take the three one. Uh, for Cloud Nine, right? Yes. I don't know if I should say three out for Genji or not. Whatever you want. If I'll, I'll say three one Genji. You're not I, I'm definitely to pulling. I'm, I'm pulling for Cloud Nine, man. NA all the way. I, I don't get me wrong. I love BDD. I love Genji, but uh, uh, NA all the way. But uh, I, I can't predict that. I'm sorry. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I the thing, I don't know. It feels like like Ruler and Life play fairly passive like they're not the most aggressive bot lane in comparison to a lot of the other ones who we you kind of do have you know in the quarterfinals right now so i don't think we're gonna see like a whole lot of inting from sven and vulcan like which is what happening which is what ha which is what was happening when cena was really struggling both in the playing stage and early on in the group stage so i'm not expecting the for the c9 bot lane to get quite exposed the only concern obviously is if bdd just 1v9s the game straight up i think should we see a solid blabber? I don't think Clid is going to run over him. And I think, you know, I would actually probably give the edge to Fudge with whatever top laner is playing for Genji, whether it's Rascal, whether it's for, um, whether it's Birdall. So I think the main concern, obviously, is BDD in the mid lane. If he gets one of his signature picks and just smashes perks, we could see some stomps. But on the flip side, I think we could see some stomps through the top side on the C9 side. Yeah. Would you throw... So here's the thing. We, we talked about this a little bit today when watch, watching BDD. Would you throw three bans at BDD? Because you would probably want to ban his Syndra, Zoe, and Azir. But I don't think it's worth throwing three no, bans I at think, someone. I don't even think, I don't think so either. I don't even think it's worth banning at that point. Like, I think you just have yeah, to... Yeah, that's, well, that's like, what... Yeah. Yeah, like, you, you just got to recognize, like, hey, this guy is really proficient on, like, four-plus champions. Like, we just got to find and comp around the best matchup possible. And whether or not that's saving counter pick for perks or just letting Gen G like blind pick a Zoe or a Syndra early into the draft, it's then about finding a suitable answer for perks, but also getting something that can either give C9 priority early on in the lane or helping out Blabber as much as possible to help influence the mid lane. Like, I don't think, like, sure, if, if a guy has like one or two signature champions, I think it's totally fine to throw bands that way. But when you're reaching three, four plus champions, which you're like pretty perfect on, which are Syndra, Zoe, and Azir. Um, like, I don't think there's a point in banning those out. Maybe in the second phase, if if Genji choose to not early pick mid laners at all. What scares me about it is that I think the way TL drafted against it today was it, it was exactly what we said. So it was like you don't want to ban all three of them because you need to ban other things. But then they they picked the Syndra away and they played it into the Zoe, which should be a good matchup. And he still shit on them with Zoe. Yeah. So that's where I'm a little bit like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, and it was Jensen, who's probably been North America's best mid laner. Am I... Yeah, definitely been North America's best mid laner this tournament. Um, so that's a little bit of a yikes. Uh, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah, anyways, I don't got any more on it. 3-1-Z9, epic. Okay. We're going semis uh, again. T1, Hanwha Life. This hmm. should be the slowest based off the expectations of lck if it's supposed to be slow games um yeah. doesn't mean the games will be bad but i mean well their last be best of five at the end of the regional gauntlet was quite the banger if people didn't know okay um the, the series went all five games t1 one three two um if people care about that context at all also if you care about even more context 
I'm a life 2-0 T1 in the last game of the regular season. So, recency says that Homolife owns the head-to-head 4-3. Okay. Is it boring for me to say that I think Faker's going to hold his own against Chovy? Is that like is that like a snoozer? I don't know. I, I mean, mean, it's my take. It's, it's Faker, my take. though. Like, I know. That's that's the thing, right? I'm not it's expecting like, well, any midlander to run over Faker. <laughs> that's the thing, right? That's why it's like it's a boring take, but that's what I think. Uh, Chovy's been unreal, but I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'd be surprised if he could still just absolutely run over Faker, but wouldn't that really say something? Like, this is the opportunity for Chovy to be like, nah, man, it's me now. Move aside. Well, like, there's yeah. a good story to build up around this. Around this. Yeah, it's it's like this is the precursor to whoever wins versus Showmaker, basically. Um, I Although, they're my boys, I'm a life. Also very faithful in T1, and I'm going to roll with T1 on the 3-2. I think the series is going to be really close. I think, similar to what we saw in the regional gauntlet, when you're able to get Morgan in a position where he's ahead and he's playing a carry, he actually plays really, really well, and even in the games that we saw in planes, and early on in the group stage, when Morgan gets some attention early on from Willer, he's able to you know use his leads really well, and I think T1 are also a great team at utilizing their early game, specifically Owner. I think you know, the games that we've seen owner get an early lead in group stage, like he's just straight up able to run over the game. So I think early game is going to play a big factor. While I think people are expecting this series to be very slow and methodical, I think we'll actually see like a pretty quick series out of these two teams in terms of game time, not like it being you know a 3 hour or anything. Like I think early game is going to be the story of this series, which is like pretty opposite of what we would normally see in LCK versus LCK. Okay, so I am going 3-1. That is my prediction for this one. I don't need to say anymore. I, I just think that Chovy's been their best player, and I think Faker can hold his own and kind of hold him back. And I think that T one's got the better macro, and they're just better overall. So T one. What you say, three one? T one, T one, three one. Yeah. Alrighty. Um. Last up, we've got a rematch of MSI semifinals. Uh. Damn. Did one. you give your number prediction? I missed. I it, said I three think. two. Okay. Gotcha. Uh. Okay. Go ahead. Last up, Damn one versus Mad Lions rematch semifinals MSI twenty twenty one. It's just a 3-0. Like, it's just a 3-0. Like, the thing is, it's though, just a like, 3-0. So I, I am going to predict 3-0 as well, but I don't think that that means this series is free by any means. I think it's just that Damwon has kind of leveled up, which is a weird thing to say about a team that was already one of the tournament favorites. And I would also say that Mad Lions actually look worse this world than they did at MSI. Uh, whereas people are going to point to the MSI series. I think that went five games, right? Am I remembering that right? Yep. Mad was so, actually up to I, one in that series. Yeah, I, I think that it's not the same exactly, um, but I, I don't want to discount that Mad Lions can be a much better team than what we've seen this tournament. They've been good, but we've seen them be better in the past. And so I, I don't want to completely discount that. But again, I don't know. Damn ones, they're kind of beastly, man. Uh, I, I got to go 3-0. Yeah, I, I would honestly be surprised if Mad Lions wins a game based on how they're playing right now. Um, and that's not to say that Mad Lions is playing terribly because I think they're playing solid for the most part. I just do think that individually there are points in games where one singular player is making a lot of individual mistakes, and it's kind of normally been resting on Humanoid and Armut, and the solo laners from Damwon right now are just looking so cracked. Like, Khan and Show, like Showmaker is the best player in the world right now. He's the best player at the tournament, um, and Khan is you know up there probably with Xiaohu as best top in the tournament at the moment, and... I've said this like even before when MSI was going on, like the way that Canyon uses vision control in the early game is just so insane. Like when we were seeing 
the full clear meta in spring and at MSI, like we would see Canyon like do his full clear and go ward enemy jungle, or either forego one of his camps on his full clear to then get a late ward in the enemy jungler, spotting out where they pathed and, and how they were pathing, and, and then just basically Damon would have vision of the enemy jungler for the first 10 minutes of the game, and it was almost impossible to do anything against them in the early game. Um, unless you know you were winning out against them in the solo lanes or in bot lane and we're not seeing ghost and barrel int and we're just seeing showmaker and con destroy everybody 3-0 it's just a 3-0 okay well i mean i guess we both have the 3-0 yeah. um, and then I... do you want to just quickly run through if in our hypothetical semis and finals who wins out if yeah, let's do that. Okay. So, I guess then it would be RNG. For me it would be RNG versus Genji. I'm going to go RNG in that one. So they're going to go to the finals. Me For too. you it would be RNG versus So yeah, RNG no matter what even yeah. if it's Cloud9. Yeah, RNG. Okay. And then so then after that it would be I would have T1 versus Damwon. You would have that as well. Yep. Uh I'm taking Damwon over T1, honestly. No surprise there, right? I'm thinking you're doing the same. Just for the storyline, I have to say T1. Ooh, okay. Like it's Faker's, he just has to win again. It just, it has to happen. Okay, so then. That if not now, when? It's RNG, when it's RNG and T1 in the finals, you're taking T1 in the finals. Of course. Faker has to win. I'm Crystal Ball guy. RNG, I've made my pick. I'm sticking with it. RNG is going to win Worlds. Yeah. And it's going to be on the back of Zhao Hu being a god. I wouldn't be mad about that. I think he's, I think he's insane. I think that guy okay. is really good. So before we move on to whatever's next, I don't even remember. Um, I wanted to shout out Ness if he brought something else up in the live chat. Uh, he said, did you guys see what Dom tweeted out? And then he put it, he says, fucking wow, bro. I guess they really will just never change format. T1 versus HLE and then DK RNG versus EDG quarterfinals. Uh what a shit format yeah i don't i'm not bothered by it. i don't care does it bother you the format no i honestly don't care about when you know the same region teams are going up against each other i think i don't you know you gotta play each other eventually yeah like you like i like the, the I whole the whole argument care. is going to be made like when you know an lck team beats an lck team and like how it's un like unlucky if it's a bad match or anything i think the people the matchups that people are going to point out too from previous worlds were like last year when uh, Damwon played DRX in the quarterfinals, and uh, what was the other one? Sooning played JDG in the quarterfinals as well last year, and everyone was saying how like shit that is that like two teams from the same region have to play. Like, dude, like that's what happens when you're the top regions. Like, the LCK got four teams out of worlds uh, out of the group stage. Like, at the yeah. very minimum, there's going to be two on each side of the bracket, or if not in this case, you know, three on one side, one on the other. Like. It just is going to happen when your region is that good. Like, Yeah. So my thing is, I, I wouldn't mind if they changed it either, to be honest. Uh, this is one where I'm kind of indifferent. Like, I don't really care. Um, it doesn't bother me that they have it this way. If they changed it and made it so that they can't play each other, whatever. Like, I, to me, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think that eventually you're going to discover who the best team in the world is. And I think that's what the tournament's meant to do. So I'm, I guess I'm not too bothered by it. Yeah, and I mean, but just it's something to, just, that I thought was interesting. So thanks for uh, bringing that up. Nessie. Yeah, and I mean, just to address, you know, the reply in the live chat, like, you know, it's not as attractive because we've seen the matchup before, and you know, it gives you know a better indication of like who's going to win already. Like that doesn't matter, dude. Like the meta is different. Like the meta is very that's different true. from what's going on right now. Top lane meta, you can literally play anything. Mid lane meta is all about pushing, roaming, and like getting you know fed on these mages. Um, jungle meta, you can literally play anything as well. You can play assassins, you can play tanks, uh, you can play your your, Lee, your Lee Sin, your Sin Zhao, 
and bot lane is just like also up for grabs like obviously mf is the top dog right now of, of what's going on but you have champs like Ophelios, lucian ezreal we're seeing a little bit of kaisa support you have leona you have alistar you have brahm you have thresh you have rakan if you pick a Mumu, you're trolling but there's th that champion is there as well and also like the meta shifts during the tournament like i dude i, I after we've seen poppy jungle so much like i would not be surprised to see poppy jungle just be this like the new like top jungle pick after all you know we it see might these... be banned a lot honestly yeah, because we see these champions like lee sin is high priority in the jungle as well i really is super high priority in mid and top lane leblanc like poppy cucks that champ as well like there's so many champions that right now that get really cucked by the poppy w and like i would not be surprised at all to see that you know that pick become like the new top jungle pick right now I, I think the meta thing's a really good point because then it makes me think if we were seeing the same champions that have already been played in these matchups that we've already seen, then I think it would suck a lot more. It's like, hey, we've already seen this like a month ago or whatever it is. So that I think actually is a really good point, JNT. That but the, one other thing, the, the meta shifting makes it a lot. That's probably why I don't care. Honestly. One other thing that I will address, just because Dom has also mentioned this in the past, not specifically in this tweet, but you know, and I, not just him, a lot of people said this, like world should be double elimination when it comes to the knockout stage. I still agree with that, but I also think that it can just be too difficult sometimes because it's clear that Riot wants to condense the tournament as much as possible and it's get it going. It's a long tournament, like, man. Like I'm looking at the like the current bracket right now versus a, a, basically a, a just a imaginary bracket that somebody replied to on Twitter with, and it's like, what is this? This is four, seven best of fives. This other one has like ten or eleven best of fives in it. It's like that's just too many matches for at a certain point and. You know, you kind of do see like world's interest drops with each region that gets eliminated. Like when NA is not in it, a lot of the NA fans lose interest. And when EU is eliminated, all the EU fans lose interest. And I feel like should you have a double elimination format where more often than not, you're just going to see like LCK and LPL teams battling themselves or against one another. Like it would get boring to a certain point. And I do prefer the short and sweet format of worlds right now, while it isn't necessarily the best format to determine the best team at the time, because you can sometimes have these matchups where it's like the perceived finals is in the quarterfinals at uh, the couple ones to date back to are like 2018 or 2018 IG versus KT when IG was, you know, unfortunately a, a seed two team coming out of groups because they lost a Fnatic and a tiebreaker. And then like, it was like the only three, two apart from G2 RNG in that world. And like, Everyone knew that those two were the best teams, but one got bounced early on. So it, it's always hard to find this balance of like how many series do we have to play, and then like how do we actually find the best format to get the best teams there. But like we said before, like if you're the best team, you gotta win anyway. So like if you gotta play a hard team at the start, like dude, if you're gonna win, you gotta win. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think you want a chance of variance because you could hypothetically do a best of 100 if you really wanted to figure out who the best team in the world is. It's like, okay, well, dude. no, but I, I'm using that extreme example is like there is a way of finding out who the best team in the world is, but you don't do that many games or you could do even best of nine if you want to be more realistic or best of seven, but you don't do that because variance makes it more interesting. If you did a best of seven or a best of nine or whatever it is, first of all, the tournament would be hella freaking long. And second, it's like okay you just kind of know who more who's going to win it's less interesting that way so i think there's it's good where there's variance but uh the reason you do best of fives is because i think that makes it so that there's not too many too much variance like in best of ones in uh, in the group stage and i think yeah anyways i think it's good the way they do it um i'd be open to other suggestions but i'm not bothered by the way they do things right now i think it's as best as we can get it based off of the most like off of the restrictions that we're probably not told about 
uh, and the tournaments are hella long already. Yeah, or like, the tournament rather. We we mentioned this already. Like they've already shortened yeah. worlds from being five weeks to now four weeks with the addition of plans. Yeah. Uh, that's it for for all the main topics, right? Some quick some quick news to get through, JNT. Yeah, we got some quick quick news. There's not that much because you know it's worlds going on. Uh, but just quickly, we got a couple G two stuff because nowadays there's always some G two stuff going on. Uh, first off. They're hiring Romain uh, as their new league general manager, who previously was the Unicorns of Love general manager way back in the day um, with that OG roster, former Optic, Optic general manager. Well. Yeah. yeah, When Optic yeah. went to NA, uh, like they became part of franchising. And he currently was on the LEC business development team, which you know, mm. presumably he's been doing a lot of work there. The LEC is obviously very, very successful after their rebrand, so very mm -hmm. knowledgeable guy. Um, also, like I wasn't even sure, like, was their previous GM just Carlos, I would assume? Like, yeah, now they actually no, have a specific guy to fill that position? I don't think so, but I don't know for sure. Maybe someone could let us know in the comment section. Yeah. I, I have no idea. And uh, rumor part, well, I guess the first one was confirmed that they did hire this guy. Um, actual rumor. Um, apparently, and I'm going to be very honest where i got this rumor from because it's not a concrete rumor whatsoever oh boy it's loose you can't take it no what is but it? It, it's it where i heard it from wasn't a very reliable source per se but it has been swirling around the community quite a lot so i was watching uh -huh. the baus ffs epic <laughs> youtuber by the way but he said in his video like that all, a lot of people at eu were talking about how mad lions flacked who is their mad lions madrid which is their european regional league team is going to be the new ADC for G2. And apparently everyone is saying this guy is like super cracked. Like he's insane. It's not flaked, it's flacked. I think it's flacked. That's the name that I've heard. I don't know. It okay. could be. I, mean, I, I don't know who he is. I have the, no idea. The two times that I've heard his name is flacked. And yeah, sure. It was in a the Baus FFS video. But like, apparently this is like, what's the, the word around EU right now? So, I like your source. I, I, I heard from the corner store from some guy buying a pack of smokes that Faker is going to be playing for TSM next year. But who knows? Rumors are rumors, right? That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, it's a loose rumor. It's not from, like, a particularly reliable source. But that's apparently I'm the I'm joking, word. of course. Like, the thing is, though, like, it's not the worst source I've ever heard. I, I, I am just joking. Of well, he's course. a G2 it's, streamer, it, so, like... It, yeah, it very well could be possible. I'm just memeing a little bit. All right, what's next? Uh, last up, I don't think anyone really cares, but Astralis and Jess Club. <laughs> Or not, they, they parted ways, and I don't think anybody cares. I says. don't think anybody does. Astralis is hottest, soup. Yeah, not the hottest free agent. Uh, yeah, they're kind of yeah, they're kind of just getting rid of that whole roster. Like they got rid of uh, Magic Felix already. They're getting rid of Jeskla. They're damn sure gonna get rid of Promise Q. That guy sucks. Um, yeah, they'll most likely yeah, hang true, on to yeah. White Knight if unless he gets bought out by somebody else. Because that guy, I think both of beast. us talked about how he's, he's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, I don't even know who their jungler was. Oh, um, Zanzara. He's a beast, actually. I like that guy. Zanzara, a guy Trundle. plays with a broken hand. Yeah, he plays Trundle and uh, Skarner. I like that guy. Yeah, nice. I, I added one. Um, some people might think, why the hell do I care about this? But I have a good reason why you might care. Um, so the assistant GM of Golden Guardians is, is leaving. Uh, that's Kamikaze Platypus, and a lot of people might be like, hey, whatever. Um, the reason why I actually think this could be important is because, so first of all, this guy's had a lot more impact on the league than most people know. I remember, I think it was Hotline League last year when um, Hunter Lay was, was the, uh, the head of esports for Golden Guardians was on, on Hotline League. He mentioned how um, 
Kamikaze Platypus doesn't get a lot of credit for the impact that he's had on the league. And I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe he was crediting him with the ideas that the league went forward with of changing how spring uh, goes into summer. And I know not everyone likes those changes, but also the play-in tournament as well. Um, so he's had a lot of impact on the changes of the league. And regardless of whether you like those changes or not, I think we could all agree that the league did need some changes and they should start trying new things because spring not mattering. I mean, that's become a huge meme, but it didn't really matter all that much before. And I think it mattered more this year, whether you like it or not. He's a guy that's tried throwing different ideas out and has had an influence on the league. I believe again, don't quote me on it, um, but he's stepping down. And I think uh, he's my front runner. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I have no actual knowledge of this, but he's my front runner of who would be the next commission of the league um because there's still no new lcs commissioner and they said that they should be hiring one so i just want to throw that out there that he's my pick i i don't know much about this guy at all maybe he does not that kind of guy to be a commissioner i, I could be wrong but um anyways he's had a lot of impact on the league as far as hunter lee is concerned he's he's had, spoke really highly of him and he's stepping down so i thought i would throw that little piece out there so you got a made-up rumor and i got a made-up rumor yeah nice yeah. Not the greatest source is coming from the Clown Fiesta podcast. Well, no source but... for yours. I at least had a source. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Just, Anyways. You're just trying to manifest something out here. <laughs> yeah, true, true. I'm going for the long shot. I trust Anyways, we've gone a long time in this episode. Man, we always try to get through these episodes quick. It's just not happening. These episodes are getting longer and longer. But we thank you guys so much for sticking with with us the schedule has been crazy we've been coming out with episodes every like four or five days it should slow down now right it should slow down it should be normal next week we're just yeah. like a week from now we do one well yeah i guess what is today monday so the games end on mo next monday shouldn't we just go live again monday after the games like we've been doing is today monday yes today's monday and it'll be next monday for the same time okay all right so that's the plan for now if that changes we will tweet but otherwise we're gonna keep after so far a big we've been c9 dub yeah, preferably after winning, a C9 dub. Uh, thanks, guys, so much. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for uh, subbing Anoina Mouse, if I remember your name correctly. <laughs> and honestly, huge shout-out to all the people in the live chat, uh, Nessive especially, um, because you're active on Twitter as well. And honestly, a lot helpful, to be honest, with the stuff that um, – the points that you were bringing up. Always appreciate you guys in the live chat. Um, thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's been good. And so hopefully we're on a regular schedule now. Now we get to say enjoy – the quarterfinals. Man, the tournament's going by really, really quick. JNT, anything else before we close it out? Thank God C9 made it, dude. Yeah, true. We were you stressing. You closed this one out, actually. I'll let you close this we one We were out. stressing so hard watching all the C9 games that morning. Like, oh my yeah. God. I was like... Hey, how fired up, man. We were so fired up, man. Dude. That was like... That was the hypest I've been watching dude, a League of Legends I, game I was saying time. it, like, when we were watching the tiebreaker row game, like, I was getting... Like, I felt sick. Like, after, like, there were so many plays where, like... People would trade one for one or one for two, or perks would just int in the side lane and it was looking like then like rogue pussied out on so many barons. It was a crazy last four days of league. I think most people can agree that this has been the best worlds to date in terms it's of been good. not necessarily the highest level of gameplay, but in terms of the entertainment value, uh the various regions, you know, performing well in their own right. You know, I think they obviously, you know, LPL dropped the ball a little bit, but like they still got two teams in there. LCK's got four. We got one in for NA. And you know, Let's Mad go. Lions made it out, so everyone's got okay. uh, everyone's got a horse in the race, so it's exciting. Close it out, JT. We're rambling. I'm just gonna say I love you guys. Bye. Okay, thank you, thank you. This has been episode sixty two of the Clown Fiesta Podcast. <laughs>